Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. And welcome once again to another episode of the Retro Redoctopus Cephalo Podcast, the only show that celebrates all the things that made growing up awesome. We are part of the Dorketing and Nebriart Podcast Networks, in case you didn't know. And as always, we are brought to you tonight by Deadly Grounds Coffee. Coffee to die for and also to drink because it's damn good coffee and you should all go get some Deadly Grounds Coffee because they're awesome. That's what I have to say about mm-hmm. that. I, mm-hmm. I am your host. My name is Parasite Steve, a.k.a. Steve Van Samson, a.k.a. Uh, Steve of uh, not coming up with clever names, but nobody calls me that because it's, <laughs> it's actually it's actually a shit moniker as monikers go. Shitty. Uh, and with me, as always, are my super creative script writing cohorts. Uh, we got Mr. Nintendo. Oh, hi. How you doing? Up here, good cool guy. How you doing? Oh, so cool. Oh, cool. Cuckoo. Uh, and also, uh, the other cool guy, uh, Mr. Ape and Alchemy. What's coming up, to you, coming to you, to a theater near you, from your coffee table straight onto the silver screen. It's me. It's you. <laughs> I awesome. Guess. Hey, hey, how's it going? Um, you guys, you guys chill? You guys doing pretty chill? Yeah, we vibing. Yeah. We vibing. It's been a... It's, you know, it's been a weird kind of week. I think I'm still tired after that Sonic episode. Fair. Um, <laughs> yep. Uh, Fair. Not only was it three hours long, but uh, we started late. So we were recording into midnight, into the midnight hour. That was, uh, that was a late midnight one. Hour. That was a late one. Yeah. Uh, but we, uh, this one, this one's, I'm, I'm endeavoring for this don't, particular don't, episode. Just don't say not. anything. Just don't, just don't uh, no, say I'm, it. I'm going to, I like calling it. it. No, no, I like calling it. It's like I'm hitting. A, oh, we're I'm, always I'm calling the, the home run. I'm calling the home run. I'm not going to say exactly how long. I'm just saying shorter, just shorter than three <laughs> hours. Uh, we have a really unique, fun episode theme tonight, and I'm very excited about it. We have two awesome guests that we've been hoping to get on the show for quite a while. A couple of buddies of mine who are on an awesome podcast. I'm really a big fan of the show. I will introduce them before I introduce the theme uh scott clevenger and jeffrey holland from the slum gullion podcast i still don't know what that word means guys welcome to the show thank you and you and jeff are in the same boat he doesn't know either <laughs> and tonight <laughs> since since everybody else has a nickname you can call me quato quato did you are you do you have a reactor to start quato <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> nice. Okay, but I figure since everybody else has a nickname, I figure I just uh, throw that out there. And uh, you know, technically, the Slum Gullion's like soup, right? It's soup. It's um, yeah. Uh, oh God, uh, Susan O'Connell um, from Larry Blumeyer's films. Oh She's, yes, she plays Tergasso. Yes, and Tergasso, same character. Yeah, and uh, sh- when we went live with the show, uh, she. She messaged me on on uh, Twitter and said, "Yeah, in Ireland we just call that uh, pantry soup. I think is what it was. It's basically everything that has not yet actively begun to rot, but is on the <laughs> precipice of spoilage, and you throw it into a cauldron of some sort. And I guess you add water, soup stock, maybe some bones. I don't know. And then you it basically it's just everything soup." Everything right. and that, that's us. <clears throat> it's shit on a shingle in soup form. Because yes, because because all of all of pop culture is our bailiwick. There you go. We covered the waterfront. Yeah. So tell us about the show. Um, I already know what it's like, but you know our retroids who are listening right now have no idea what this very silly uh, named <laughs> show is. I mean, we're on. You're on Retro Redoctopus. I mean, you don't get our name is that. serious as hell. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm a little overwhelmed by the seriousness of the name right now, as as well, one should be. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's to be expected. Yeah, so tell us about the Slumgullion. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go Both with this. Okay, I'll go. So, so it's a show called the Slumgullion. It's nice, actually nice. it's okay. French for Slumguillon. It's a, oh. it's actually a different thing entirely. So it has different meanings in Ireland or France, depending mm-hmm. on where you are. Um, and basically, it's just a it's a show about all things pop culture, and. And and it, it, the hosts are and bad very knowledgeable guys, and we yeah. happen to have them on the show here today. We guys, do. would you like to talk about the Slum Gullion? Have you seen the show? Have you have you have you no checked it out? No one's seen it. No one's. Seen it. <laughs> okay, so no, then, got, so we then, have a couple so of videos. Good, you yeah, passed. We the have first done. Test. Wait, wait. We have done a couple of videos, so somebody may have seen a few things. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> but not the lion's share of your content. Okay, okay, good. You passed the first test. You're paying attention. Ha, ha, ha. You're all awake. <laughs> so, yeah, go ahead. Talk about your show. I'll shut up. <laughs> uh, the the big thing, at least for us, I think, uh, you know, usually like it used, we used to do a three hour extravaganza where we spend half of it just bullshitting about whatever we wanted to. And then the back. Half that sounds be- familiar. <laughs> and the back half we would do what we call the ultimate movie challenge and we pick a movie any movie from any genre that either both of us haven't seen before or one of us hasn't seen before the only one hasn't seen in a while but just something we haven't seen and we have watched everything from um hillbilly porn to italian vampire porn to um asian ghost porn all, to all the flavors uh, yeah, of that oh porn. okay the <laughs> Smut gullion. I get it. <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> Scott, anything to add? We we did see uh Bollywood porn too. That's true. Yes, yes. The musical numbers are great. I love how you guys are just totally selling your show as a porn show. We did <laughs> exclusively porn. You we guys did, are like a hub of porn. We did one porn show. We did we did some <laughs> We, there was a whole genre which we were kind of surprised to discover of drive-in movies in the 1970s that were so i guess they were trying to cash in on hee-haw i have no clue but <laughs> okay. they were 
they were people in bib overalls getting it on. It was simulating sex. It was all softcore. And they were made by, you know, people like Dave Friedman and Harry Novak and, the, you know, those kind of exploitation masters. Uh, masters. And it was, uh, it was deeply, deeply disturbing. <laughs> I mean, I have never seen two people struggle to simulate CODIS on top of an anvil before, and I never want to see it again. Now, I'm trying to remember, Scott, was, was, was that show my fault or yours? Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yes. usually when we're asking that question, it's your fault. Point taken. It probably was mine. I was going to say. But the rest of it, we do You know, everything from the big Marvel movies to forgotten classics to... Uh, very, very weird little things that Jeff found at three in the morning on Tubi. Too much Johnson. Too, Too much, much Johnson. Right. That, <laughs> that was one. I had never heard of this. 1936, uh, Orson Welles' first film. It was a silent sort of ma made in the style of Buster Keaton. And it was like 40 minutes of really elaborate setups that was supposed to accompany a revival of a fusty old 19th century comedy called Too Much Johnson. And it didn't quite work out, but he did make the film. And dear God, is it a nightmarish experience? <laughs> so it's so in reality, at the end of the day, there wasn't enough Johnson technically. There was not enough Johnson. And again, that if you look at if you look at our ouvre and you went through the titles, you'd think, okay, too much Johnson. That's the porn episode. No. <laughs> right, right. We in reality, you. it was the, the vampire happening, right? Yeah. No, the vampire <laughs> happening. The vampire. Scott, Scott, I told Jeff, I didn't tell you. I watched. I watched that with my wife after you guys did that episode. Oh no, did you? Yeah, oh, oh, oh. I fell asleep. She watched say? the whole thing. She watched well, the whole thing. I she watched the whole thing. I woke up on the couch and it was like over, and then I looked up and she was like wide awake, and I and I was like, <laughs> wow, you 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 finished you finished it? it, and she's like, uh, yeah, and I'm like, well, how was it? She's like, well, that that was that was a thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's pretty much our reaction too. That was definitely a thing. I mean, did did you make it as far as the um, the peach pudding breasts? I don't think so. Oh, you miss, you don't know what you missed, man. Okay. Well, I I have a I have an idea now. Now I want. <laughs> I I mean, I didn't before. Now peach pudding breasts is what I missed. I guess. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, you guys are both uh, super funny, and you guys do a great show. And uh, I've been on a couple of times. Um, also. Uh, you guys have had Larry Blameyer on a few times. Uh, we got to have him on for the first time um, at, at the beginning of the season. Mm -hmm. uh, was that it, was, was awesome. at the end. That was a great show. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, Ooh, and and really, I gotta I gotta do a real quick quick whoring because I got reconfirmation. Uh -oh. um, yeah, oh, no, no, yeah. The 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 interview with. Um, director of the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window and Hudson Hawk and motherfucking Heathers, Michael Lehman is still coming on the show. Wow. That's awesome. awesome. Nice. He is, he is filming something right now. That's why, that's why we haven't scheduled anything yet, but he was like, I will get in touch with you once I'm done shooting and we'll set up a time. Just, just bug me and make sure I don't forget. That is sick. Awesome, nice. dude. That's a great guest. That's awesome. a great guest. Looking forward to that one for sure. That's the flip side of every, every, every time we do something that, that dissects my soul. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
it's Jeff's fault. But on the other hand, every time, every time we have a cool guest, it's almost always also it's Jeff's also fault. Jeff's fault. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm proud of the fact that I got that the same week that I got uh, Mr. Lasky from the Guardians of Justice. I had both of those the same week, so I'm like, yeah, that was a great episode too. I love that one. That was really great. I have not seen the Guardians of Justice. I was not planning on seeing the Guardians of Justice, but after listening to your episode on the on the subject, I can't not see the Guardians of Justice. How can I not? I think I think you can and should. <clears throat> Even if you don't like it, you will walk away saying, "I've never seen anything like that before." And that's, and that's something kind of cool. Yeah. That honestly, that's something you can't yeah, you can't say that's that about hard much. to do. Yeah. Right. Um. So welcome to the show, guys. This topic of this week uh, was your idea, um, and you guys brought it to us. I love this because we were trying to figure out like what could we do for an episode. We knew we wanted to have you on. We're, you know, we're tr- we're trying to figure out something that gelled, and uh, one of you guys had this idea to okay, let's let's use the the movie, one of my favorite of all time, and I don't say that lightly. I truly love this movie so much. Clue. It's, mm. it's uh, one of my all-time favorite movies. And um, I'm very, very, very picky with comedy, especially. I have like a, a shelf of my comedy DVDs and like it doesn't stray too far from like, you know, Monty Python, Mel Brooks, uh, Christopher Guest, Larry Blameyer. Like there's, there's only a few directors that I really get into. There's not too many like singles and... Uh, Clue is one of the singles. It's, you know, it's kind of Mel Brooks adjacent. We have Madeline Kahn and uh, it sort of feels, you know, a little bit brookish, a little bit uh, with the zaniness, Um, but it really has its own feel and it's, it's just such a great movie. So I, you know, you said, let's take board games and turn them into movies. Let's do pitches. So that's what we're here to do tonight. We're talking about uh, board game movies that never were. Uh, fictional movies based on real games and uh, we each have put some time into this uh, so we're not just going off the cuff and (laughs) we all have uh, you know varying degrees of the same sort of thing where we sort of pick out you know some of us are going to have casting some of us are going to have some plot stuff and uh, just descriptions and we are also going to play you commercials that are uh, for the games that we're going to talk about so um yeah, it should be fun. Uh, we're going to do three of us before the break and two of us after the break. We got a ton of Octoponder. This responses from the group today, just absolutely awesome. It was so fun to see those roll in. It was fast and furious. Uh, our buddy Paul Ma- McNamee just went nuts. Like, I don't know, he couldn't stop. He couldn't be stopped. Uh, uh, contain just, his excitement for this it was, prompt. It was, it, was, it was glorious. Paul just went crazy. So we're going to get to Paul. I saved Paul for last on that list. He deserves it. Um, but before we get there, let's do some pitches. You guys ready to pitch some fake movies? Yes. Oh, yeah. All right. So I will go first. Um, <clears throat> uh, so I'm going to play the commercial uh, for the game that I chose. So let's let's see if you guys remember this one. Danger lurks on Fireball Island. More than a mere board game, it's a three-dimensional adventure. Your quest, the idol's jewel. Coward, I'll go first. A shark! But it's not so easy. Mountains and chasms stand in your way. Yes! And beware, your foes are out to stop you with thundering fireballs. Oh, stopper. And collapsing bridges. Oh, no! Got it! Oh, dog me! And you don't win till you're off Fireball Island, the three-dimensional adventure from Milton Bradley. 
Okay, Fireball Island. Fireball Island. Do you guys remember this? Does anybody remember this game? Nope. I know this game. Tim remembers this game because it was in the house. And <laughs> we are. We are brothers. That's so true. Joe Joe must remember, right? You must remember? Yes. Yep, I do. Um, Jeff and Scott, not so much? Not so much. Not so no. much. So this was... This, this is pretty much my second favorite board game of all time. Um, it was put out by Milton Bradley in 1986, ages seven plus, number of players, two to four. Fireball Island is uh, it's a three-dimensional board game. So the you take it out, it's got a, just a gigantic box, which was really one of the problems. There was nowhere to store this box logically. You couldn't stack it with other stuff. You could put it on the bottom if there's plenty of room around the shelf. But, I mean, it's just gargantuan. Um, and you pull out this game board that is this blow-molded topographical um, piece. It's just a single humongous piece of plastic um i'm not exactly sure what the dimensions are but if i'm guessing it's probably like two by three feet i mean it's big um it's probably smaller than that but it's big it feels like it's that big um and they printed on it somehow i'm not quite sure how they how they did it but i always thought it was interesting like you know it's like wow you can see the the you know magenta cyan and yellow on the little dots if you look close enough it's like wow it's on this like you know i don't know how they did it interesting really really cool board game it's uh it's basically like a jungle adventure sort of a thing and there are volcanoes around and there's lots of branching paths and um when you play this game uh oh yeah so at the top that's right i can't not mention volcar at the at the top of the biggest mountain is a is a stone face like this stone idol and he's super cool he's got horns and big teeth he kind of looks like a tiki god or something and his name is volcar and he is like the mascot, the god of the island. And um, he has a little spot that he sits in and you can rotate his, his head around and where he's sitting. And he has, a little, uh, he has a little red marble in his mouth. And there are other spots, other little volcanoes where you put the little red marbles. And those are the fireballs of Fireball Island. And um, they come into play later. And basically you just, uh, there are four possible players, little adventurers. Um, and you can go anywhere you want. This isn't a game that there is like a specific route around the board. There is a specific end. There is like a place you got to go when you've finally done what you have to do. But it feels like an adventure because you have to search for stuff. Some of the stuff is accomplished with cards. So it's random. Some of it's a matter of you have to get to places. And, uh, and every time you're rolling... Um, the dice to see what your movement is. But if you roll a one, that's fireball time. And it's up to, I think it's like the next player or something gets to choose um, what fireball rolls down to get you or something like that. Um, and uh, sometimes it's, it's Volcar and he spits it out of his mouth. And sometimes it's, there's a better one closer. And um, if you uh, get hit by a fireball, you, there are little places on the board that are like little um little it's basically a ditch on the side of the road it's basically the place that your mom was always worried you'd end up you know when you <laughs> when went you out driving call. yeah and you don't call and you're driving at night and you're like oh you're, you're gonna end up ditch in the ditches fireball island yeah oh, these are the ditches <laughs> they're in this game so you 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 have to go back to the next uh next closest back 
ditch and you lose uh, either one or two turns and you keep going. So it really is a very different board game experience. It's fun. It's adventure. The board looks amazing. Um, very cool. Uh, so the game includes one plastic topographical game board, one idle Volcar figure, one Firestone jewel, which is a cool little like see-through plastic uh, jewel that you need. You have to get that if you want to leave. So the point is to, to find the Firestone jewel and make it out of Fireball Island alive and with it to the dock, and then you can sail away. Um, but the other players can steal the gem from you, and uh, there are various cards that do all sorts of stuff. It also comes with five red fireball marbles. That's fireball with air quotes there, real fireballs. Uh, oh, two two little, little bridges um, that are great because they're actual, they, they made separate little pieces. And then there are places where the fireballs can actually go like underneath the bridges. And if your guy is on the bridge, it's perfect. You like fall down. And <clears throat> if you fall off the water, you have to go back to the, the beginning. So it's like, you do not want that to happen. Um, are either of the bridges names Jeff? Jeff, uh, no, there's uh, they're both okay. bow. It makes no okay. sense. Okay, uh, that is 48, weird, okay. 48 cards and one die. Uh, the other cool thing is that Fireball Island was actually via Kickstarter, it was resurrected in 2017 as Fireball Island colon the curse of Volcar, and it was made by Restoration Games. And uh, was successfully funded, and uh, as far as I know, you can go out and purchase it. Um, I did not do that, but they added some stuff. There's there's a bunch of different cards, and uh, they made everything from scratch, and it looks awesome. But I actually for. I actually still have my original of this game, so um, I just decided to not spend that like seventy dollars on a, another gigantic board game. Um, but so so that's the game. Um, it sounds pretty adventurous just to start with. Make, pretty, pretty adventurous, right? Like, right? like yeah. It's pretty cool. Right. Pretty cool. So um, the movie version that never was, Fireball the movie, uh, Fireball, Fireball Island the movie. I, I always hated saying Fireball. I, like my tongue doesn't want to do it. It wants to fireball. say like Fireball. Fireball? Far. Like a, like a, bar, a ball that's not close to you. It's, it's not near. It's far. Fireball. Uh, so Fireball Island. Yeah, if I had like a hick accent, Fireball Island, man. Hey, hey. Um, how would so, you say it? How would you say it if you had a hick Massachusetts accent? A hick Massachusetts. So, like, is that like Boston? Like, you want to like fire? It'd be like Fireball, Fireball Island. That's what I was looking for. Thank you. It's like Fireball Island over there. <laughs> yeah, because like people don't understand, but the Boston accent is like very similar to like a like a like a long island like you gotta you gotta it's like the ooh. you got that gotta get that ooh. Ooh. ooh like people are like oh pack the car everything's pack pack the car you don't pack it's pock it's it's like pock it's it's different pock. it's not pack it's not you're not playing pac-man with your car yep. but anyway pock. um but anyway so I, I chose to to choose this. I don't know if everybody is going to have this or not. The fictional presentation of the movie is my. I'm going to film this in glorious black and white mm, because I want this to be an homage. I don't want it to actually have come out, you know, in the 50s. Obviously, the game came out in 85. But even if we say, who cares? Um, I, I want it to be like a modern pastiche, looking back 
like the artist or something like skeleton, like lost skeleton of cadaver, like looking back to the fifties and um, what with modern actors, but I want it to feel like an old jungle adventure movie, like the creature from the black lagoon or uh, what's it? The monster from green hell or, you know, like mm. you know, one of those many good timeies um, fictional year of release. Uh, I'm going to say 92. And the reason I chose a year was because I wanted the actors to all be at the age they were in 1992. Um, fictional cast. Okay. I had a tough time coming up with my hero and my, my gut. I was just like, I wanted Bruce Campbell. And I'm like, you know what? The problem with Bruce Campbell is he doesn't make movies with other, like too many other like famous people. And I wanted like an all-star cast. And I'm like, I don't know. It just didn't feel right for a while. And I was like really waffling. I went through all these different people. I settled on Michael Douglas. And the reason is because one of my favorite movies of all time that nobody ever talks about is the ghost in the darkness. I love that. Nice. I love that movie. It's like Michael Douglas uh val kilmer and and man-eating lions um in africa it's just absolutely awesome have you um, read have you read william goldman's book i think it's further adventures in the screen trade it might be adventures in the screen trade no has like five chapters about that movie oh really yeah oh i didn't even realize it was a william goldman about how it came to be and how it wait well like wound the, up what it was well like the princess bride guy yeah Oh my God, that's insane. I, I never knew that. Mm-hmm. Scott, see, this is why we have you on. Read the credits. Next time you watch it. Next time I watch it. I love he that gives movie. the information, I give the cheap jokes. That's how, hey, that's how that's our partnership how it works. works. That's how it I'm works. learning that I should start reading my movies. <laughs> <laughs> you think movies, they're not just for watching anymore. Well, I'm really old and I started in the silent era, so it's just a habit I couldn't break. <laughs> <laughs> I just read everything I see. I don't know what, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't know. Put something in front of me. I, I'm reading it. Um, so to me, that movie was like the return of Michael Douglas to the adventure genre because obviously in the 80s he did romancing the stone and jewel of the nile and i love those movies too especially romancing and uh i don't know there's something about that like era of michael douglas that i just want to see more adventure movies i wish there could have been more more of that because i just loved him in those roles you know so he's got to have like you know the longer hair and uh i don't know I'm just a I'm just a fan. I think I think Michael Douglas is my guy. He is uh, taking the role of the Red Adventurer, who uh, I've I've named all of the characters. Our our hero, his name is Ruffian Cobb. Uh, <laughs> he's an archaeologist. Uh, Cobb has been searching for the legendary Firestone Jewel for almost fifteen years. He's brave, very knowledgeable about lore and legend, but has a crippling fear of fire, especially when it's in ball form. <laughs> so that's rough for him um i i guess i should say i feel like there's a comedy slant to this i didn't intend for there to be but i i don't think it's like pure comedy like lost skeleton of cadavera but it's definitely there's there's definitely some comedy in there maybe we're talking like old dark house level of comedy um and then we have uh as in the role of the purple adventurer uh i have cast one of my all-time favorites keith david Mm. from the from the thing and uh Ooh, from, okay yeah, from from they live and gargoyles as jimmy blue steel irons yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect 
<laughs> a fearless former Marine turned weapons expert for hire who suffers from severe bipolar disorder. His mood swings from affable to annoyed at the drop of a hat. So he'll be walking around and be like, hey, man, how's it going? And then like, what you doing? Like, and he'll just be like instant angry black guy. You know, like he'll just like really like go back and forth. Like, is, is this guy okay? Is this guy okay? Like, you're not yeah, sure? He might not be. This guy. He might not be okay. But so, oh my God. So this character is based on my mother. Is he? Okay. I didn't realize, but I, I guess I guess so. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know your, your mother resembled Keith David, but. Oh, yeah. But like I'm, I'm putting my, I'm crossing <laughs> my fingers there like this. She's a handsome woman. Handsome woman. <laughs> she, mm-hmm. Good. One of the best voices. And oh, absolutely. Deep bass. Just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. Mama uh, bass, they called her. Yeah, Keith David is is doing cons lately. Uh, he was in Connecticut last year, and I could not go because I was in freaking Florida doing a different con. But oh my god, like I, he's coming to one this year. I I I need to meet Keith David. This guy is like he's on my bucket list for like people to meet. I love this guy, and he absolutely like needed to be in more stuff because he's one of those guys who's just like honestly terrific actor. He's got presence for freaking days his voice is absolutely one of the best voices i mean it's up it's it's literally tops it's like james Earl jones yes christopher lee yes keith david absolutely is in that also, conversation. yes yeah i mean sure morgan freeman morgan freeman's voice is it's just because it's so different and soothing right like is, is he really right. is he that great i mean is he he's got a nice voice okay he has a nice voice mm-hmm. but i mean like okay he's in the conversation too. whatever okay fine we can talk about it <clears throat> So moving on, in the role of Blue Adventurer, um, I cast my beloved Madeline Kahn. I had to. Um, in the role of uh, Lainey Germain, she's a kleptomaniac gemel- gemologist uh, who, uh, <laughs> who appears very friendly and knows her stuff. She's friendly, flirty, you know, she's like, oh, and I could totally see, like, you know, Madeline doing that, you know. Um, and being like, where are you like, how you doing, mister? Like, you know, gets up and then like your, your watch is gone. You know, it's like completely. Um, uh, she knows her stuff when it comes to precious jewels and gems, but is about as trustworthy as a dam made of paper towels. And in the final adventurer role, the gold adventurer or yellow adventurer. But if you're a fan of the Bruins, you have to say it's gold. You're like, well, it's not black and yellow. It's black and gold. You bleed black and gold. Well, that's Bruins gold. So I guess it's gold. That's what I went with. Uh, we have, I put another guy who I dearly love, uh, another, another Mel Brooks alum who I really wish was in more stuff. And I wish got to be in more like larger roles. Um, I, I love this guy, Harvey Corman. And he's going to be our, um, our villain, right? Cause one of them had to be a, a bad guy. Right. Right. Um, so Harvey Corman is that, you know, so he's playing, okay, his, his name is Cecil P. Montgomery. <laughs> and, uh, and he is like, I need him to like lean into that. It's not a British accent, but you think it might be like, because he did that. It's like, it's just British? like a real snooty poops. He's just it's like, just, ew. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so snooty. But he's you not, know, he's like, you remember Jonathan Harris from Lost in Space? Yes. He got that all the time. He would say, oh, so you're English? You're, he, goes, he goes, no, no, it's not a British accent. I'm just affected. 
<laughs> exactly. Exactly. He is exa- exactly the same thing. You're right. Yes, Jonathan Harris. He's like, oh. <laughs> it's like, is he is he is he English? No. <laughs> not english so i need i need harvey to really lean into that um and really just just be this character that i i'm confident he could he could carry this role and be the villain for the entire he'd be you know be count de monet for the entire movie um de monet de monet uh so he's a business tycoon known as the sponge king of cincinnati montgomery is backing the expedition but he secretly plans to be the only surviving adventurer after letting the after letting the others do all the actual work in finding the Firestone Jewel. He has a burning desire for fame, fortune, and to show up the entire adventurer community who scoffed at his ideas about the legendary Fireball Island, calling them, quote, slightly hard to swallow and, quote, most likely not true. <laughs> finally, <laughs> finally, in the role of the voice of Volcar, the idol of Fireball Island, keeper of the Firestone Jewel. There are so many ways I could have gone with this. I chose funny. Like, well, I got I got Madeline, I got Harvey. I'm gonna cast Mel. So so I, I have the, the big scary idol at the top of the volcano, and he's gonna do like, you know, I, I don't know if I can do like a good Mel Brooks voice, but like what what's this go what's going on down there what what what's going on <laughs> i can't do it it's terrible. merchandising merchandising what what's i just want it to be very jewish and 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 i, I that that's that's what i went with so um that's mainly what i put into this as far as like the the plot of the movie i'm just thinking like in general you know you're gonna start seeing uh they gotta they gotta start dying you know but as far as like scenes that i was kind of thinking there's a mechanic in the game that you accomplish with cards and you steal the jewel from the other player like i said and there is another one that says fake jewel and the fake jewel card you play if somebody else tries to steal the jewel from you and you have a fake jewel card you can play that and uh ostensibly you are giving them a fake jewel and then the players none the wiser but you know of course the real life players know and they just you know didn't get the jewel um so i think it would be really fun to have a scene where um you know madeline khan's character who's a klepto she's stealing stuff and she um i i want her to actually steal the gem at some point uh whoever gets it first you know i'm thinking maybe uh maybe keith david's character uh what was it Jimmy Blue Steel Irons? Maybe he gets it first or something like that. Because we can't have the hero guy get it first, right? So I'm like, okay, maybe he gets it first and she steals it from him. And then somebody else tries to steal it from her. I'm thinking the bad guy, but she gives him a fake jewel. So she's gonna have like some, you know, I don't know, glass, glass gems like in her on her person or something that she's, you know, prepared for. And um, I think that would be a fun way to have the scene that like calls back to the mechanics yeah. like that. Yep. Um, also got to have a scene where there's, you know, uh, they're on the bridge and I think it would be great if there's a fireball that comes down and catches the bridge on fire. So it doesn't knock all of them off. Maybe more than one person's on the bridge and one of them like is fell off the edge. And then you have, you know, Michael Douglas, ruffian Cobb, you know, he's like the, the good guy. So he's like, Oh, I got to save, 
you know, so-and-so and he's, he's trying to put the, but the bridge is on fire. So, you know, they're trying to get off the bridge. I think that could be a, a fun scene. And uh, I mean, that's pretty much, that's pretty much my pitch. Um, I think, I think in the end, it would be great if, uh, you know, the bad guy there, Harvey, Harvey Corman, um, Cecil, Cecil P. Montgomery, if he, he's got to get, he's got to get burned. Like he's got to get it good. Right. Like, <laughs> I'm thinking like maybe he makes it off the island and the 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 viewer thinks that he has the gem. Um and maybe maybe yeah, maybe that's where later we learn that it was a fake gem that that um Madeline Khan had slipped him. Because Ooh, he could be like be Yeah, because he could be like, I win, I'm getting off the island, and uh and then like one final fireball gets spat out and uh and Volcar's like, hey, what are you doing down there? Yeah, yeah. And he, you know, spits out the fireball and like goes in the middle of the ocean and sinks him. And he's like, he's dead, clearly dead. And and we're like, oh, I guess, I guess nobody wins. Then you find out maybe a couple of the, the people who we thought were dead were still alive. And and uh and Madeline Khan secretly had the jewel all along. And and maybe Michael Douglas gets it from her and is like, oh, yeah, I knew you had it. I'm the hero. I'm smart. I don't know. Something. I guess the black guy dies. That's not fair. That's the brother should the brother shouldn't die first. That's not fair. I don't know. So I'm not sure. I haven't worked out, worked it all out yet. Maybe they all survive, and it's just evil Harvey Corman that dies. Maybe that's fair. But Fireball Island, the movie that never was. I'm done. What do you guys think? Right. Nice. Yeah, sounds like a Yay. pretty good idea. I'm on the phone to A24 right now. Nice. Yeah, A24 <laughs> is the one to make this. <laughs> Get him over here. I'm thinking Judd Apatow could make this. I'm thinking, I think he could. Mm-hmm. David Lynch. <laughs> we need a Lynchian fireball island. Oh my god! Sure. So let's move on from here, and uh, we're gonna have the first of our guests go first. Jeff Holland, what do you got, my friend? All, all, all right. So um, now, question: Are you going to play the commercial before we get into this, or is that? Oh yeah. So let's work? play. Yeah, let's. Thank you for reminding me. Yes, let's play the commercial for the game that you chose now, and then you can come right back, uh, right in after the break. All righty. What do the experts say about Hi Ho Cheerio? You got to get all of the cherries in the bucket. Two cherries. One, two. Hi Ho Cherio, a child's first counting game. I chose Hi-Ho Cheerio. Now, I kind of played a little fast and loose with this because Hi-Ho Cheerio is technically, I don't know if you'd call it a board game. Um, It was made in 1960 or first published in 1960. It was created by a man named Herman Werhard, and it was released by uh, Whitman Publishers. Eventually, Hasbro bought it, and they've had it since then. And um, it is a counting game made for small children, which is hysterical because there are lots of small parts which present choking hazards, but what are you going to do? Um, <laughs> the point of the game is you you have trees, and on these trees you place little cherries, and there is a spinner, and you spin the spinner, and the spinner will say things like, remove two cherries from your tree, or put two cherries on somebody else's tree, or remove three cherries, and your goal is to get all ten cherries off of the tree and into your basket. That's the game. That's it. Yes, that, that, is, a that is it. 
a lot of deep, deep yes. rule set. Yes. Well, as I said, it was it was it was made for youngins, which is mm-hmm. why all the little tiny cherries I think is hysterical. Um, really I played is. this game. I played this game a lot when I was a child, and apparently, I was a rampaging prick with it when I lost. <laughs> I, I there have been stories of me fleeing the game, apparently, but I was like six or seven. So, what's you gonna do? So, <laughs> I, I I thought long and hard about this so um this 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 is what i got for you so our film um i, I even call it hi ho cheerio uh, our film takes place in the san joaquin valley of california okay. and it is it takes place in the high-powered world of cherry farming <laughs> now we begin at um the uh, now, all these names are just place names, and we can workshop different names. Just names I just threw and just put the heck of it. Now, we begin at the home of the Damaras, who are the third, basically, best cherry farmers in the land. And they are hosting the opening cotillion, if you will, for the annual Cherry Blossom Cherry Picking Festival. And at this particular festival, you know, we meet all of our major players and including our two main families, the number one and number two cherry farmers in the land. Uh, For now, we'll just call them the Carringtons and the Ewings. Okay, and um, every year, you know, the 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 winner of the cherry picking contest and the cherry festival, whatever, always goes to either the Carringtons or the Ewings. There's a really nice rival build up between them you know right 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 so uh, one of the reasons that this particular cotillion opening festival is so awesome is because uh, of randall ewing the prodigal son has returned home from college you know the, he uh, he's the football player he's handsome you know he's he's gonna take over the cherry farm once dad finally kicks off you know um at the party all the girls are all over him but he seems strangely unimpressed or not interested in any of the girls that are fawning over him you know we also see um the we also see the uh, carringtons as well and you know they're 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 seizing they're eyeing each other very very montague capulet kind of thing going on here now um one of the things that we also find out at this party is the reason that uh, Randall Ewing is doesn't seem to be interested in the girls falling all over him is because he has been in a secret relationship with Jennifer Carrington and yes. has been for quite some time and you know they've been keeping it from the families because you know with their rivalries it could be hell but he's back they haven't seen each other in a long time so you know their romance continues while they try to keep it secret from their increasingly angry families now the reason the family are getting increasingly angry is because there are things that just are going wrong on both farms. You know, um, uh, equipment's not working, you know, um, workers aren't showing up or quitting, and the families are blaming each other for these conflicts, okay? And things get more intense and more intense and more intense, and then finally... um, They've reached uh, peak intenseness. Oh, yes, indeed. Well, Jennifer Carrington's father so- somehow suddenly believes that um, Randall Ewing raped his daughter. Oh, no. Oh, A shit. Ewing raped 
raped uh, Carrington. Well, this will not stand. And of course, things are said that can't be taken back. And then one night amidst a thunderstorm, they kill each other and everyone dies. So everyone is dead. <laughs> and then it cuts to the actual cherry blossom, the cherry picking festival. And we see the, the winner of the winners this year are is the Demera farm. And you know, um, they, they get all the prize contracts, they've won the festival, and the senior demare is standing there accepting all the awards and looking quite smug, almost as if he knew this would happen. And then you get flashbacks and you see that he caused all the problems on the farm and he was the one that snuck the information out that uh, Randall raped Jennifer. He was the conspirator of everything and now he is on top of the booming cherry business. Oh my god, that's such a gangster ending. Damn. <laughs> Damn. Just pile of cherries underneath him. Oh my god. You were wow, what a tangled web you have woven from Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know what I love the most? I love the patent place names. <laughs> They're so ordinary, but like it's, it's so By the way, the names are actually from um, Dallas, Falcon Crest, and uh, Days of Our Lives. Oh, it was, it was okay. I wrong soap opera. I had the wrong soap opera. No, but still, you know, <laughs> you, you got the. They were. They are soap opera names. That's that's perfect. So, so this is. I think we. I don't know what everybody shows for their uh, presentation, but so I had this, you know, black and white '50s sort of looking movie, pastiche movie. You have a soap opera. So when would this be filmed? Like what era of soap operas are we talking? Oh, 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 if we're going there. Oh, no, no, no. I'm, we're, I'm talking. I don't want this to be like an. I want A24 to do this. I want to make it start off like kind of like a soap opera, but the ending is pure horror. Gotcha. The ending, it turns into like, you know, family carving the crap out of each other. You know, dementia 13 style shit. As soon as I heard you say the setting was the San Joaquin Valley. I immediately knew oh, this is a horror movie. <laughs> I know where we're going here. <laughs> no, I have no time period for this. Like, I, I want this. I would like this done today. Although, if I wanted to okay. go classic, I could. I could also. I could also see this as kind of like a. Um, I could also see this going as like a black and white 1930s German expressionistic kind of thing. Sure. Sure. <laughs> You know, when I heard it, I, I either thought, uh, because of the names, either um, 80s, women with the, you know, gigantic football pad shoulders. Yes. And, uh, and embarrassing wigs. Or maybe like a candy floss, pastel colored Douglas Sirk film from the 1950s. One of those, one of those soapers that he was so well known for. Mm -hmm. uh, and he would do like the first half. And then he'd get fired like Victor Fleming was from uh, from Gone with a Whim. And then they'd bring in just some who, whoever made like uh, Blood Farmers or I Drink Your Blood. So here you go. Bring in somebody. First like. half of the film. First half of the film we have directed by Ron Howard. The second half of the film is directed by Umberto Lindsay. Oh. I thought you were going Roger Corman on that. <laughs> no, I went for I went for Italian cannibal director. <laughs> gotcha. Sorry. No, when it makes a pivot, it makes a hard pivot. It's a it's a it's a, <laughs> it's a pivot with a capital P. We're oh, going full. Yes. We're going it's full a hairpin turn. <laughs>
the cannibalism is the cherry on top. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not oh. saying there is, oh, well I'm done. not saying there is cannibalism, but there could be. I'm not saying there are actual cherries. The cherries, the cherries are my penis. <laughs> the cherries are a metaphor, don't you see? <laughs> <laughs> you got some weird looking penis. <laughs> um dude that was amazing thank you so much that's that fucking awesome yeah yeah I, i'd see this yeah i appreciate that <laughs> i love all the all the effort that was put into that that's i want to play awesome. the game and then watch the movie <clears throat> yes <laughs> I mean, I could honestly brush up on my counting anyway. You know, like, yeah. it would probably, like now's yeah. probably the right time. Yeah. Filling buckets with cherries, that I can handle. Yeah. <laughs> you just don't want to play with me. <laughs> clearly not. You know, if you're going mean, to rage quit every, every goddamn time. <laughs> or if your games end up in cannibalism, then definitely I'm right out. <laughs> For sure. I'm not Hard saying pass. they could, but they mm. could. I'm not they saying could. they can't, but they, they could. could. Hi ho, Cherio. Absolutely awesome. Thank you, Jeff. That <laughs> kicked ass. Um, so moving on, Joe. Um, yes. you ready, my my friend? Oh, I'm ready, guy. All right, let's play your commercial guy. and then you just come right on in. Okay. Hey, hey, get that back. Mouse trouble? Then you need mouse trap. Mouse trap. I guarantee it's the craziest trap you'll ever see. The first to capture everyone else's mouse is the winner. Just turn the crank and snap the blank and boot the marble right down the chute. Now watch it roll and hit the bowl and knock the ball in the rubber up tub. It's hits the man into the pan. The trap is set. Here comes the net. Ouch! Mouse trap. I guarantee it's the craziest trap you'll ever see. I knew you were a winner. Mouse trap from Milton Bradley. Yeah, so uh, mousetrap. Yes. Oh shit! Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. oh I Going can't wait. Real. Okay. Yes. Okay. Mousetrap. Yes. Love. Okay, so, love this so, game. Yeah, love this game. Uh, I I always loved setting th- this game up. You know, it's a little bit of a pain in the ass, but I love setting it up and then just turn that crank and then just watch the yeah. trap happen. Yeah. I don't know. It was just fun for me to do. Whatever. Yeah. And. Uh, so anyways, this game came out in 1963 by Ideal, which eventually Hasbro took over and, you know, started putting out games through them. Hmm. And uh, I was up to two to four players, and it's one of the first mass-produced three-dimensional board games, which is pretty neat. Yeah, uh, I had no idea it was this old until we were doing this episode. That's yeah, crazy. yeah, same here. Um, uh, players at, at first corporate to build a working mousetrap in the style of Rube Goldberg machine. Yes. And players turn against each other to trap opponents' mouse. They're the opponents' mouse-shaped game pieces. So you get like you know four different colored mice. They're 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 like absolutely awesome game pieces too. They're so yeah. damn cute. They're awesome. I don't know if they. I don't know what they look like in the sixties. I assume they changed over the course of time. Yeah. Yeah. But in in the eighties when I had it, like I mean. The mice looked awesome. Every every piece of this game was like awesome. Yeah, right, right. Um, so, anyways, uh, it was a really really fun game. And uh, so, what I wanted this movie to be is a Disney movie, a CGI Disney movie released, you know, this year. Mm-hmm. And I kind of created a movie genre. <laughs> okay. For this. Um, revenge musical 
<laughs> oh, I am so down. I was, I was just gonna say this is Jeff's now. Now it's his favorite show. <laughs> you, 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 you got me, boy. Keep going. I, I, I'm all in okay. Now. He's okay, the so world's I, largest Sweeney Todd fan. So <laughs> Revenge Musicals got him by the balls. Nice, nice. Got him by the cherries. I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really good with grabbing people by the balls. Um. So yeah. So my my plot is four random victims find themselves in an abandoned factory, frightened and confused, when suddenly four monitors turn on, each revealing a silhouette of their captives called the Players, uh, begins to play, telling, telling the victims that they have been brought there for a reason. Each of them has done something wrong and must pay the price. They are told that they must play a game of mousetrap. If you get eliminated, you really get eliminated, meaning you die. <laughs> Eventually, the victims are forced to wear mouse costumes, each a different color, yellow, red, green, and blue. So dark. To hu- humiliate them. And on top of that, you know, because you know, the game, you, know, you have to, like, as the game goes, you have to slowly build the traps. Right. So basically, you're building uh, your own fate, like, like, you're, like you're helping kill yourself or something. Right, right. So... Do you want to play yeah. a game? Yeah, That's really. Game. You want to <laughs> die? And, so this uh, is a Disney animated Disney revenge musical. musical. Yes, and it's dark and disturbing. Yes, as fuck. I mean, yes. Disney Plus did just say they were going to start doing R-rated content, so this could be the <laughs> first movie. Oh my god, that'd be amazing. <laughs> So, know. so to clarify, you when they're playing a game of mousetrap, they're playing like a life-size game. A li- yes, life-size so like, game. Okay, yeah. they're the size. They're the size of themselves, but they're the mouse. So the the mousetrap's just this huge pieces. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Can you imagine so. dying in some Rube Goldberg device dressed like a mouse? Oh, it's the worst. How humiliating, right? I mean, <laughs> kill me any other way. Honestly, but not I- that way. I mean, it's I don't even I don't even need the chance to live. I'll I'll volunteer <laughs> to die. Just do it, you know, one shot in the back of the head. Something dignified. Yeah. Just don't do me like that. Exactly. Don't do me like that. Don't do me, don't like, do that. me like that. Yeah, beat me to it. <laughs> this is how we do it. it. <laughs> um that yes. that's all. Do you have more? That's awesome. Uh, I, I do have um a, a cast but oh nice nice yes okay um so for the victims we have uh victoria uh pedridi i don't know if i'm saying her last name correctly um she's gonna play as Brittany. these are just, just random names i picked out and she's gonna dress up as the yellow mouse okay and then you have john boyega as walter as the red mouse okay uh latila latita Wright. she played in a uh, Black Panther. Black Letitia. Panther oh, Letitia. Letitia. Letitia, Letitia right? Thank yes. you. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. So she plays as Vanessa. She's the green mouse. Nice. And, and of course, because, you no, know, he's super hot right now. Tom Holland as Riley plays the blue mouse. He's so hot right now. So hot right now. Right? Who is I the know. first lady? Uh, Victoria uh, Pedridi. Who's that? Uh, the, oh, shit. <sighs> no, I honestly don't even know. <laughs> she's from a haunting of hill house oh yes yeah because oh, i did I, okay. I i looked i looked up like like popular young uh actors and actresses 
for this movie and like most oh. of them I don't know. So I'm like, well, I want this to be like a diverse <laughs> cast. So, oh, so oh, you, oh, you, okay. you need I you need her. a white yeah. girl. Sure. I need like right. white, I need a black, I need a Hispanic or whatever. Well, she's actually a great choice because she's she's a current generation scream queen. She's like True. our our, you know, t- today's Linnea yeah. Quigley. Yeah, that's actually a really good choice, Joe. That was, was she in uh, Two Broke Girls? I don't, I don't think so. Else. I mean, she. I remember from her from no, the that's Haunting Hill Dennings. House. Oh, okay, Kat, okay. Oh, yeah. All right. Okay. Well, if you hey, if you want to switch right. to Cat Dennings, I'm all for that. That's good too. Yeah, <laughs> it can be either or. <laughs> and so the the evil players we have Keith Powers as Taylor, player one. Uh, Sadie Sadie Sink. Uh, she plays oh, Sadie uh, Sink. Sadie, Sadie Sink. Sink. Yeah, Sadie from yeah. Stranger uh, Things. Stranger Things. Yeah. Uh, she, she's Monique, player two, and Will Poulter, Poulter yep. as Ooh, Sid. Yeah, okay. Uh, he's player three, and uh, Jenna Jenna Ortega as Sonia, player four. Nice. Yeah. I like the way you you specifically went out of your way to cast like current like it actors versus people that you just like. Like I just picked people right, that yeah. I like. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> but you were like specifically trying to like right because this was cast be... right now. Right. This is who I would. Right. This is like a, a realistic but choice. All star. This is like an all star cast movie. Right. Right. This of sucks. like now you've got people. me thinking about the songs. Yeah, I don't know how that sounds to go. <laughs> oh no, you've got me thinking about it, you bastard. Well, they he, have to. He, there has he's to be. He's writing them. There has to be. Writing them right now. Yeah, there has to be a. a uh, uh, they have to karaoke to the death. Oh <laughs> my god! <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then the mic drops and they die. Yep. <laughs> they, they 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 drop the mic and that sets the trap. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes Ooh. you know when they take they take a upbeat song. They just did this actually. With the new Stranger Things four trailer, they did it with Journey straight uh, separate ways, and uh, they strip it down and they make it creepy. You know, we could do that, but like, uh, do the 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 t- what's the tub song? Scrub a dub, just a having in the tub. Oh, I know. Right. Oh, you mean splish splash? Splish splash. Yeah, splish splash. splash. So okay. Yes, Swiss Flash, I was taking a bath, but yeah. like stripped down and like, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe off key. They're like, Splish, bad, I will take it back. <laughs> and it's just blood flowing in through a bathtub. It's slow, slow motion. So you're, slow motion you're, blood splatter. You're saying <laughs> Bobby Darren, but on ether. At least ether. Probably ether and ether plus. Ooh, ether plus. <laughs> ether plus. Because there's a tub, there's a tub in the in oh. the game. I'm looking at the components. I'm trying to like figure out. Yeah, strip down, split. God, <laughs> Joe, I that was already. Joe, that was so awesome. Thank, Thank you. you, Thank dude. You. That was awesome. Thank yes, you. Yes, I want it. I want it in my eye hole. Yeah, man. <laughs> these are these, this is this is such a fun episode. Like, fuck yeah. Um. All right. Well, I guess we're we're cruising right along. We might as well uh, keep keep cruising, and then we, that's how we don't end up with a three hour episode. Hmm. So, uh, we posted this week's uh, Octa Ponder this question to you um, on our Facebook group today, and a ton of you responded, which is just so awesome. Thank you so much. We got a lot of fun responses. 
Um, but that question is, I will, I will ask it for you, the listening audience, in case you aren't on our Facebook group, which by the way, you should be because it's fun and there's lots of cool peeps. Uh, so uh, this week I asked, what board game would you love to be turned into a movie? That's right. It's literally just the topic of this episode, but I figured it would be the most fun anyway, whatever. Why don't you guys just answer the same question that we're answering tonight? And as far as us, because we always try to answer the octopod with this ourselves we're just going to kind of give like if we had a uh, like a runner-up we were thinking about doing we'll just ourselves list that too so what board game would you love to be turned into a movie that never was why don't you think about that for a second just chew on it we'll go on a short break hey what's going on i'm steven and i'm ron and we're the hosts of the super retro throwback reviews audio podcast if you like to hear the latest pop culture news with some smart ass commentary as well as the latest movie reviews then check us out also we're a multi-award nominated podcast so we're doing something right god knows how that happened so check us out on all major podcasts and distributors and check out super retro throwback reviews on all social media platforms I'm Patsy the Angry Nerd, lover of science and sharks. And I'm Ashes Von Nightmare, the real housewife of Transylvania and mistress of Merlot. And, and we're, we're the hosts, hosts of the Throwdown Thursday, Thursday podcast. podcast, part of the Somebodies and Grand Guignol Networks. Join us each and every Thursday as we break down all the characters you love and love to hate. That's right. We cover characters from movies, television, books, video games, and even real historical figures. Plus, we discuss science. And wine. Like, so much wine. Like, all the wine. We also pit random characters against each other in free-for-all contests voted on by you, the listener, and reveal the results the following week. Did I mention the wine? Like, there's a lot of wine. So join us on our journey through pop culture on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and everywhere you listen to podcasts. And we, and we will, will see, see you next, next Thursday. Thursday. <laughs> Attention, this is the Lost Skeleton of Cadavra, and you are listening to Rancho Notorious. No, wait, no, that's Retro Redoptopus. Hey, are you ready to do some bacon? It's about that time where we ask you, the audience, to octo-ponder this. Welcome back aboard, everyone. Before we took a break, which we just did, you were there. We asked this week's Octoponder this question, which is, of course, what board game would you love to be turned into a movie that never was? Um, let's let's go down the list. Let's answer this. We got a lot of fun retro answers. Uh, I'm just going to go first. My, uh, I think it would be fun. I'm just going to keep it wholesome. I'm just going to keep it wholesome and not turn it into horror because that is the fun thing to do really i mean like you can turn anything into like that is the i do want to do that but there's a game uh that dr Matteo, my uh my now 13 year old daughter who's uh a little 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 too old to become an honored dad's podcast i guess uh uh She loved this game. It was a game from my childhood as well. I had it still, and this is just kind of like the one that she gravitated towards. We played Fireball Island too, um, but she, she really liked this one. It was called Don't Wake the Dragon, and it was a really fun board game, a really fun board, I should say, where it was like the central blue sort of pedestal, and there's this purple dragon, and um, he sort of, it's motorized, and he sort of yawns, and uh, there are little icebergs that are around that sort of make a perimeter. 
And uh, they're all separate pieces. There's four icebergs that make the perimeter and you control little penguins. Also really fun, just little, little player pieces. And they're all different colors and they have a little indentation on their, they're wearing top hats. They have a little indentation on the top hat and you can fit an egg on the top of their hat. And so you actually have to make it across to where the dragon is and he's stolen all the penguin eggs and he's hoarding them like he's smog and uh, with a bunch of dwarven treasure. And uh, instead, instead of the Arkenstone, it's it's a bunch of penguin eggs. Almost as good, almost as good um, as any Tolkien fan will know. But you have to make it to the to the dragon. Then you put the egg on your top hat, and then you have to go back and you have to make it to uh, back to your home base. And then you can drop off an egg, and you have to like do it whatever how many times three four four times whatever it is. Um, anyway, very cute game. I always thought it was a neat combination of elements that it's a dragon, but it's ice with penguins. It's very unique. Um, I think it would be a very cute um, animated. CG animated sort of movie, like a Pixar type movie, um, maybe with a little bit more edge, maybe something like Ants. Um, you know, not adult adult, but maybe just a little bit of an yeah. edge just for, yeah, just for yeah. fun. I actually just looked it up because I, I remember the, the name. <clears throat> I just could not remember what the board looked like. And mm-hmm. yeah, I remember playing this game. It, it's a fun little game and, and it's just very unique. So yeah. anyway, that was that was my runner up. Uh, what you got, Jeff? Any runner-ups for you, sir? Did we lose Jeff? No, no, sorry. I was I, I, I was off another dimension for a second there. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> thinking about the songs in Mouse Hunt. Actually, my brain kind of went off for a second. Yeah, because I was thinking of Will Poulter, and I'm like, okay, Adam Warlock, an animated Adam Warlock doing a song with that be Okay, sorry. Um, second, I... It's, Honestly, I I I thought I thought Candyland would be fun. Uh-huh. Uh, I also thought like for actual board. I also my original thought was going to be shoots and ladders. Nice. Yeah. I had no idea what I was going to do with it, but I thought, okay, that sounds incredibly insane to try and mess with. Let's try that. But then the uh, cherry thing got me, so I did that. <laughs> nice, awesome. Uh, Joe, have any runners? Yeah, so. Uh... Uh, my my uh, honorary pick would probably be uh, "Don't Break the Ice." Nice. Uh, I wouldn't know what to do with it. But, uh, that's probably why <laughs> I, I didn't pick it. <laughs> Definitely a very unique game. Yes, that's for sure. Yes. Um, I know Scott, you were actually thinking about doing that one. I was thinking about doing "Don't Break the Ice." My my idea for it would be, um. Some like Greenpeace group goes up to the Arctic to try to save polar bears because the ice is melting thanks to global warming. And they find themselves on this huge thin sheet of ice that's slowly coming apart and their helicopter goes right through it and they can't escape and they have no boats. And underneath are thousands of Arctic sharks. And they're oh. just and they can start to see them more clearly through the ice. Oh my god, don't break that moment. Don't, don't break that thing. Don't break not. that. That's really good. That's really good. Yep. See, oh, that's why I didn't pick it. That's not why I didn't. <laughs> god, did you have another uh runner-up pick? Um, yes. Uh I, I figured this was a, a an obvious Dwayne Johnson action <clears throat> picture, uh Jenga. In a <laughs> 
in a, in, a sky, in the world's tallest building. Okay. Yes. Yeah. You know, I was I was surprised nobody picked Jenga. I was thinking that today in the group, nobody said Jenga, but you just did. It's it's a you know it it could it could be a masterpiece of suspense. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, at, at least as as successful as skyscraper. At least. At least. Right. Um, which is saying not a lot, but you know, still, an, an, it's an amount of suspense. Eight <laughs> <laughs> uh, bit, what do you got, man? Okay, so this one, this one's a little controversial. So I was like, oh that goodness. board game Jumanji, mm-hmm. like, where's the movie for it, right? <laughs> yeah. Then I felt like I don't know, probably too hard to actually make work. Yeah. So like, I figured, you know, another good runner-up would be like Zathura. Like, don't wake daddy. You know, the 90s board game classic featuring a large plastic father in a bed that you have to make sure you sneak around so he doesn't spring out and fucking end your game. Um, And I felt like this would have to be a horror movie. It would have to be something along the lines of the daddy was like a like a werewolf or something. But there was this special medication that would put him completely to sleep and he would sleep through his transformation um but like if you fucked up and woke him up at night at all he would like just insta transform like his body would just fully like take over and he'd just be like a a horrible monster he will maul you rampage yeah um so yeah i felt like that would pretty much drive home the the thought of of not waking father yeah you gotta let let that guy just keep sleeping let sleeping dads lie right (laughs) The, I love the giant plastic father. That that really got me. <laughs> it's like the most bizarre like set piece in any board game, truly. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It could it, it, like I felt like horror was the right way to take that. Um, the other way I was thinking of it was some kind of like bizarre like I don't know daddy daycare kind of like silly comedy thing. But I just don't think that makes as much sense. But yeah, anyway, that, that's my runner up. You like, mentioned <laughs> you mentioned the weirdest. Uh, game settings actually I, while you were talking i looked at fireball island that's a super cool looking board and i could have used that to to fake any number of school projects yes oh, totally right you yeah know? science fair like science like, fair would have been my bitch if i had <laughs> had access to it but two other games from the from the 60s that had super cool settings was kabbalah which had a big swiveling eyeball that chilled you to your marrow and the green ghost game, which mm. was very interactive and, and had a, had a sort of projected things on the wall. So those were two, those two were fun, but uh, my parents never bought them. So I'm Ooh, a little, oh, I'm a little bitter. Is cool looking. <clears throat> These are both cool. Yeah. The green ghost game. Oh, I love the cover art. The box art is awesome. Yeah. On you you understand why I so <laughs> wanted it and was so embittered yeah. when I couldn't get it. Yeah, is that why you killed your parents? Uh, we're, uh, under uh, advice of counsel, I'm not going to respond to that. <laughs> That's lame. <sighs> All right, fine. Well, you know, I guess if you're not going to, you know, you're not going to play the admit game. Admit to murder. Then we might as well just get on to the Retroid picks because we got a bunch of those. So um, uh, let's start. Okay. So let's start with Josh Neelis. He was the first one to respond. It took like 30 seconds. I swear that guy was like waiting for it. Um, Josh Neelis says Candyland as a Tim Burton movie. 
so oh, great. Nice. Yep. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Literally perfect. Um, Kai Leaks, author Kai Leaks, she was lurking around. She said, sorry, as an action heist in the theme of Fast and the Furious meets Mario Kart. Mm-hmm. Now that is an answer. Okay. Okay. That is an answer. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, like, you know, but you sent them back with a banana up their ass or something. Um, as you do. As you do. Derek Lostrom says mousetrap or operation, but as a splatter gore flick. Fair enough. Uh, Dominic Perillo. I always want to say Perillo, but I think he pronounces it Perillo. Dominic was just on our episode about about wrestling. He was on with with, uh, George O'Connor. It was a fun episode just a couple weeks ago. He says shoots and ladders, but it's a horror movie. He says a genius obsessed. I love this, by the way. I love this answer. A genius obsessed with H.H. Holmes creates a subterranean maze of death and dismemberment. Oh Our my heroes. god, that's incredible. <clears throat> Our heroes must escape. And that's Who did shoots. that? Dominic Perillo. Dominic, shoots. good job, man. That's a good one. Yeah, that shoots is awesome. Ladders. Yep. So then that's our we had we had two shoots and ladders answers. James Lamond also said shoots and ladders, but make it saw. And then uh, Christine, a.k.a. Mrs. Parasite, said um, uh, she added to that. She responded to him and said an obstacle course of hot metal slides and wooden wooden ladders. Lousy with splinters. Oh. <laughs> Terrifying. Which I think I think would suck a lot. That would suck. Do you want to do you want to pull splinters out of your ass <laughs> forever? <laughs> It's like, I don't know, is that going to teach me something? Yeah, don't slide on the splintery slide. It's like a really like normal lesson to learn. It's like, you could just tell me not, you could put up a sign, Jigsaw. Like, not everything needs to be taught this way. There are other ways to do stuff. Right. Guys, one freaking, one freaking setting. Um, Then we, (laughs) is he's very preachy. He's very judgy, that that jigsaw <laughs> then we have author l marie wood who is also just recently on the show we talked about uh her book of the black hole and uh that episode is a, our last crow's nest that we actually did the paintball episode she says simply uno but it's about fingers <laughs> oh <laughs> to which i responded oh. yeah to which i responded back at you lady like <laughs> fine <laughs> Um, so that's pretty good uh eric michaud says 13 dead end drive which was a clue like game that um he says he just sort of described the game he didn't really say much about what the movie would be like but he says potential inheritors including a cat go around a mansion and avoid the death trap so i mean i guess he could be talking about the movie there too but that's also the game um, also, we had Nicolette Fuller also said 13 Dead End Drive. She says, everyone trying to kill everyone else off for the inheritance. She says, I mean, in a way, Disney kind of already did this with the Aristocats. La meow. La meow. It's like, it's like, wow, good, good Aristocrat, Aristocats reference, Nicolette. Thank you for that. So a couple 13 dead end drives. I never had that game, but I do recall it yeah, uh, looking like Clue. And that's all I remember. Looks kind of fun. Uh, our buddy Berker Fanar says this. Okay. 
this he's the only one who picked this this is my third favorite 90s board game like we we, we will hear about my first favorite but we've talked about about it on the show so much that i didn't want to pick that one the second one was fireball island the third one is this he picked tornado rex I don't know if you guys Heck remember yeah. this, but that oh, game wow. kicked okay. ass. It was basically, it was another big blow molded game, only they were smart and they put it in two pieces. So the box was more, was taller, but it wasn't as quite as big as the Fireball Island. So you could just snap them together and a really, really cool game board. Check out Tornado Rex. The Tornado Rex, the titular character was basically an off-brand Taz. I mean, it's yeah. not even, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just obvious. an off-brand Taz. It's yeah, super right. obvious. It, it's so it's so similar that I sort of assume that they were intending to make a Taz game and then didn't get the rights or something because it's literally just they're like, well, we can't make it anything else. It's Taz, and they're like, okay, just color him green and purple and call him something else. Um, so he's a he's a little top and he spins around like you know Taz does in a little tornado, and uh, there was like um a, a little a little thing that you could wind him up. And you'd shoot him down on the board game, and he would just sort of, you know, using uh, 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 chaos theory, he would go whichever way he's going to go, and uh, you know, maybe knock your your player pieces over or whatever. It was a really fun game. It was different. It was uh, not as good as Fireball Island, that's for sure, but it was really cool. So he, anyway, I just thought it was awesome because I had completely forgotten about this game. So awesome, thank you, awesome pick, Berker. Uh, he says he was just thinking about. Uh, okay so his his movie is kind of meta his movie is more like the jumanji movie he wants the classic angry video game nerd cast to be playing the game and they have to beat it so it's just a movie about a bunch of people playing this board game (laughs) i tornado rex actually is real and like blows through the wall and they have to like beat the game for him to go away i think that's what we need for this to work i mean so we love your buddy but i think you got like half an idea here. otherwise, otherwise it's, it's gonna be like it, it's like andy warhol's sleep <laughs> it's just documenting something yeah I don't, I don't need to see this really um but yeah anyway i would love to see tornado rex as a big cg monster that'd be fucking great <clears throat> um oh by the way you guys can swear i don't know if that's a, anyway it doesn't fucking I feel like the horse's ass is already out of the barn. It is. Know? It's it's, it's mm. really out. Um, so I lost my place. So Berker. Okay. So Brandon Powers said this game. I wasn't familiar with this game. It's called Downfall. Apparently, it's from 1970. Uh, he says, as a James Wan saw. A, no, I'm gonna say that again. James Wan saw gore porn horror flick. See, I turned saw into gore. Saw gore. Sorgor porn? Sorgor will eat you. Sa <laughs> tilt. Sagor porn horror flick. Downfall. It looks like a bunch of gears or something. Um, it looks like it would be uncomfortable to, to work your way through if you weren't a marble. Um, <laughs> Justin Cooper says Settlers of Catan or the original early 80s game Dark Tower. Which oh, I shit, Dark Tower. Oh I yeah, baby. I didn't know this one either. I looked it up. Oh my god, that game looks freaking awesome. The player I pieces. I had that in the, game. I oh, had it. Awesome. I loved that game. It looks awesome. It looks awesome. Like I, I really like. I'm excited about this one. It's super cool. I love discovering new stuff. One of the funnest things about doing this freaking show. So thank you, Justin, for for those that 
great answers, obviously settlers. Yeah. You could totally have a very boring movie about settlers of Catan. So good job. With that. <laughs> uh, Kurt Gable says my, okay. We, ha- we have already est- established this. Kurt Gable's a good, good guy. He's uh Rushroyd, very active on the, on the board on the, in the group. Um, we have previously discussed this many times, him and I, we both feel that this game is the best board game of all time. Uh, so I'm glad I didn't pick it. It is the Omega virus. It's a 1980s electronic talking board game where you're basically a little astronaut guy and you have to save the, the, uh, the base from being taken over by this evil computer virus. And the, uh, the computer talks and he's kind of like the DM of the game. And he, he, there's a timer and he tells you what to do. And there are certain events that will happen. And uh, over time, uh, he gets taken over and he becomes he goes from being benevolent to evil and uh if you my god i remember this thing it's awesome and if you look up the omega virus the board the, i mean sorry the box art is like my favorite box art of all it's so freaking cool. time yeah i wish i could have this painted as a mural like on on one of my walls like i love this art so much anyway omega virus absolutely awesome awesome idea great sci-fi movie none of us picked sci-fi but that that is a you know there are not not really a lot of sci-fi board games really that's not really there's a lot you know at least not ones that are like ridiculously long and take you know 40 hours to play through like there's some longer form board games that are in the sci-fi but not like true okay no fair enough fair enough yeah i guess i'm I guess when I say board games in my brain, because they're not the things that I play, I'm not really thinking about those, like those longer games. Yeah. They, yeah. I don't know anything about, like, I, I just never got into games like that. Omega virus. You could set the time. You could do a 10 minute game. You could do a 20 minute game or like, maybe you could do a 30 minute game, but that was it. So it was like quick. And I remember a time Joel, Joe will attest to this. There were times where I like, this is all I wanted to do is play this game. Yes. And like <laughs> I I became obsessed like many times over the course of like I'd forget about it and then go downstairs and be like, oh Omega virus and bring it upstairs and be like, oh my God, I all I can think about is playing this game over and over because it would it would it, you know the outcome w- was different every single time. Like you would lose sometimes. Sometimes everybody would lose. You know, you could not you could not beat the Omega virus. And if he if he won, I think the deal was supposed to be that he takes full full control over the space station and and like fires upon Earth or something like that. It's like, oh no, yeah. no, we everybody did now. Good job, you you really <laughs> fucked up. Um, <clears throat> okay, so Phil Conti says Crossfire, uh, but Crossfire, it, yeah, we just were talking about Crossfire in a recent episode, um, but make it a remote drone dogfight battle like Top Gun or Iron Eagle, but with more dogfights. Perhaps a bunch of settings like Arctic Storm or like in space to mix it up. Um, I can even have stakes attached to it like Robot Jocks or the G Gundam series. I'm not quite sure what he means there, but I just read it. Exactly. That's verbatim for you. So anyway, um, yeah, I think he means when he said stakes attached, meaning the outcome of the fights have some global significance. Like you're you're gonna yeah you're oh, gonna get taken okay. over yeah. or the aliens you're fighting are gonna enslave humanity something like that. See, I'm just trying to remember robot jocks having stakes. 
Well, oh, it absolutely did. They were, they were, it was geopolitical. That's how they were worked out their border disputes with these duels between giant robots. Well, I've been, I, you can't buy this movie anywhere. It's been out of print for a long time. I know. I haven't seen it. I, I haven't seen it probably since it came out. I think this is a, perhaps an unknown movie challenge type of movie when it, if when we can find it. Yeah, absolutely. When it finally comes back out. I mean, you probably have to bootleg it now at this point. This is, this movie has come up a few times on the podcast too. Cause we did a giant, giant robot episode last season with Justin Cooper. And, um, and people were talking about this and it's like, yeah, you can't, you can't get it. Um, I was anyway. recently thinking about it because, you know, they brought back mystery science theater 3000. Yeah. And right now they're going through their sort of soft opening with mm-hmm. the Kickstarters. And the last movie I saw was a Barbara Crampton film called Robot Wars, which looks like somebody saw Robot Jocks and said, oh, how hard can it be? Found hey, it was, Scott. Yeah. Hey, Scott. Yeah. Um, if you want, Robot Jocks is on Tubi. Just saying. Is it? Ooh. It is on Tubi. I just I just checked it, and it is there. Or at Ooh. least that's what the internet says. If you can believe the internet, oh. I haven't seen I haven't seen it since the VH since the VHS days, Scott. I'm just saying we could. <laughs> it it sound it sounds like a good candidate. Um, I will r- double check on Tubi. I will double check on Tubi. Now get back to you on. So I didn't mean to do business during the show. There, so no, guys, no, I'm that's that's good. Uh, the tagline of that movie, coincidentally, <laughs> is uh, "Robot Jocks uh, better than the Vampire Happening." <laughs> <laughs> I consider that highly debatable, but all right. <clears throat> Please, I think some of the hillbilly porn we watched was better than the Vampire Happening. Certainly, the breasts were. <laughs> at least something happened in that movie nothing <laughs> happened in the vampire happened uh then we uh next we have samantha dunway bryant she says pandemic oh wait we've already been playing that one mm-hmm. and then she said no seriously maybe we can get that Shaun of the dead comedy horror vibe going uh great answer uh pandemic is a recent board game i actually own it it's very fun i quite enjoy it yeah i like that game um I weirdly Chris- have no desire to play it anymore, though. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, lost, lost the, uh, lost the taste for that stuff. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know why that is. <laughs> uh, Christine, aka Mrs. Parasite, has a great answer. She says, "Perfection," which sidebar is one of my all-time least favorite games. Fuck mm-hmm. perfection. Mm-hmm. She says it would be a psychological thriller. Some may categorize it as horror. Every time the main character feels the th- like things are starting to fall into place and things will go smoothly in life, her world gets rocked by a catastrophe, resulting in the need to start all over. All that hard work of being an adult and doing all the right things and putting them in the right place means nothing. Everything gets turned upside down. The whole time there is a nagging, annoying timer in her brain reminding her that the clock is ticking. Will she achieve perfection? Or will 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 she toss the whole game of life up against the wall while screaming, "Fuck Milton Bradley and your unreasonable standards"? <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to see the movie to find out. The suspense is killing me. It's killing me. It's just uh, well, you know. How do you feel now? I, I wouldn't say better. Yeah, no. the, I feel I feel like my it, rel- it relieved the suspense. Certainly. Oh yeah, it it cut it. it see what what that did? It just cut it cut the suspense. Now you have two uh, 
Equal two sizes. Yes. It's sixty forty, but yeah. Um, so okay, finally to end this segment, we have our buddy author Paul Can't Stop Won't Stop McNamee with his barrage of excellent ideas. They all had to be read because they're all fantastic. Okay, first he says Chopper Strike, starring Arnold, because the opportunity to say get to the chopper multiple times is just too good to pass up. Then he says, sorry, filmed in Canada with a completely Canadian cast and crew. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I guess I would be like, sorry, eh? It's probably the actual title. Uh, Connect for a touching movie about the 21st century swinger scene. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that one. That's a good one. Uh, and then he, he just sort of asks, he says, um, has Bollywood done part cheesy yet? It would need to be one of those big Bollywood superheroes added to it for sure. Uh, then we have Trivial Pursuit done like National Treasure or some kind of over-the-top scavenger hunt based on trivia clues. You can see that. Uh, Twister starring your favorite adult actors. This would probably be a remake <laughs> because it has probably already been done. And finally, Hungry Hungry Hippos. As a safari gone yes. terribly wrong survival horror movie. He says he just needs one thing. There has to be at least one overhead crane shot where a person is treading water with four hippos coming at them from each direction. Nice. Okay, hang, hang on. I'm, I'm on the phone with Jason Bloom right now. <laughs> <laughs> that shot is legitimately perfect and awesome. it does need that's, to be that's your like, poster that's your that's, poster that's, right that's, that's that is your that is your that yeah. is a scary fucking shot right there that's <laughs> legitimately like it starts out funny and then it's like oh my god that's no it's good like oh that's, shit that's good <laughs> so thank you everybody the amount of damage hippos do i mean yeah that's scary as hell yeah i mean if you're if oh, you're yeah. like if you're not over five six you can crawl in there and just like take a nap and they can just close their close their mouth and you're like you don't even need to be swallowed you can you, just you won't you exist rained on you know you're not like safe per se no nah, it's not it's not gonna be a fun day um but so thank you everybody who uh gave us those awesome answers is really really fun awesome just love love the responses when they're when they're this enthusiastic and uh, i love when people get creative so thank you retroids so much for that so uh we're officially in the second half um uh of the episode so how about how, how about that um, so let's, uh, let's start our second half with, uh, with our guest, Scott Clevenger, sir. Uh, what, what you got for us, man? Oh, let's, oh yeah. Let's start with your commercial. Let's play the commercial and then you come right in. You ready? Ready. We're okay. We're going to do it. You ready now? You still ready? No, right, here no I'm not ready. All right. Tough shit. Here we go. It's Operation. Milton Bradley's goofy game for Dopey Dockers. Here's your patient. You take a card. Remove funny bones. Careful. If you touch the sides, <laughs> you blew it, Charlie. Next. Take out Ranch Danko. A winner. Get Operation. It's electric. It's great. Operation. Operation is a battery-operated game of physical skill that tests players' eye-hand coordination and fine motor skills. 
The game's prototype was invented in 1964 by John Spinello, an industrial design student who sold his rights to the game for $500 and the promise of a job upon graduation, a promise that was not kept. Ah, shocking, right? Introduced in 1965 by Milton Bradley, the game is currently produced, like everything, by Hasbro. (laughs) I, I, I know what you guys are thinking. Are the rights an ungainly skein of chicanery and confusion? Fortunately, no, because any ambiguity about ownership was definitively settled in 1974 when the publishing rights were won in a duel between Milton Bradley and Cosmo Hasbro. Interestingly, uh, their duel to the death was fought on the same spot in Weehawken, New Jersey, where Aaron Burr fatally shot Alexander Hamilton. Oh, really? I love that. Yeah, I love that. Exactly. You, you, that's, that's a true fact. And you can look it up right after I leave. (laughs) So here's my, here's my log line. Okay. For operation. A hapless man is dissected alive by snotty children. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Now what I'm proposing is resurrecting not only an old board game, but also a film genre, one that's fallen out of favor in recent years because operation, the motion picture is going to be good old-fashioned torture porn. Relentless and merciless. No apologies, no excuses. And I'm very excited by this approach because frankly, I miss the original torture porn craze because it offended me. Um, I mean, even the watered down torture porn you get on TV, yes, I'm looking at U24, was too much, was just absolutely too much because I am opposed on principle to the exploitation of human suffering and I stand by my principles unless money is involved. And I think we can all smell the money here, right? We can all smell it. <laughs> I can smell it. Okay. I can smell it. <laughs> so I see the film being made and released in 2005 because that way the state of the art of computer generated graphics will be just good enough to give the filmmakers a misplaced sense of confidence and just awkward and primitive enough that it looks like the movie occasionally gets bored with itself and switches over to watch cutscenes from Resident Evil 4 or Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell Chaos Theory or maybe Animal Crossing. I don't know. (laughs) For the cast, we're looking at the decade's brightest rising talents, all destined for great things, including Keanu Reeves, Orlando Bloom, Tom Cruise, Reese Witherspoon, and Angelina Jolie, and then promptly rejecting them because they're too expensive. Instead, we'll lard the call sheet up with up-and-comers like Garrett Hedlund, Rupert Grint, Hilary Duff, and Piper Perabo. Every one wow. of them guaranteed Thank- box office gold bond medicated powder. Uh, my my uh, I, I just I just really want to say uh, my wife's favorite Piper Perabo line of all time is "They fucking fly." <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can't help but feel she's not alone in that. <laughs> it's, uh, it's from the, it's, I believe it's from the cave. I believe is the movie. I, I think. Mm. Not the descent. Hey. It's not the descent. It's the other cave monster one. Oh, okay. I think it's yeah. called the cave. I got this confused. They fucking fly. It's her favorite. She loves that. She fucking loves <laughs> that line. It's, she it's, goes nuts for that line. You can quote it in so many different situations. <laughs> yeah. When, when would that line not be useful? I know, like if if any any sort of a creature flies overhead, I mean that's obvious. Uh, you know, any sort of a vehicle, a drone. If somebody has hurled a toddler, 
or multiple toddlers, like in, you know, Matilda style by the, by the pigtails, you know, that you, you can just, you can just let that fly. You can just, you got it right there. It doesn't even have to be trenchful. Yeah. It doesn't even have to be germane. I mean, you could be like, say, say your daughter misbehaved and you get called in to the principal's office to talk about it. And uh, you could just like grab her hand and then distract the, uh, the principal by going, they fucking fly. And then you just, you guys all run. Cause I mean, why wouldn't you run if they can fucking fly? Yeah. It's a good distraction. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. But as for this movie. Yes. Our story begins in the scariest place on earth, Akron, Ohio. Ray, Ray, I was just, I just wanted to see if Jeff was still paying attention. He's probably not. In Akron, a local dentist nicknamed Cavity Sam is on trial for performing unnecessary dental procedures, including drilling into healthy teeth like Zell the White Angel in Marathon Man. But is it safe? It's, it's, it's not safe. It's not safe at all. But he gets off on a technicality like every criminal in the first act of every Quinn Martin police procedural. But one of his victims was a beloved local surgeon, long retired, who died from sepsis after a botched root canal. His teenage granddaughter, Phoebe Detmeyer, decides to exact justice and collects her grandfather's old medical equipment, scalpels, clamps, bone saws, animal hoses, you know, all the, all the useful stuff. All the accoutrements. All the accoutrements. Then she recruits the rest of her key club members to kidnap Cavity Sam. They take him to a relative's remote farm, and well, what they do to him is frankly unspeakable, but fortunately not unfilmable. Naturally, there's another asshole in town. Say it's the old drunk guy who runs the bowling alley and gets handsy with several of Phoebe's friends. He too becomes an unwilling player of operation. So things are going great. Then Phoebe hits in the idea of paying for their marching band trip to Manitoba, not with a car wash or selling Girl Scout cookies, but by selling fresh human organs to her weirdo hippie cousin who has a failing meat pie shop downtown. At least they're fresh. Meanwhile, the girls have been spending a lot of time away from class due to all the extracurricular eviscerations. And truant officer Joe Glaspell, I'm thinking either Alan Tudyk or Tay Leone. Comes it's looking, so similar. It's, yeah, comes looking. How do, you, how do you choose? It's really it's 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 a coin flip. So the truant officer goes looking for him, catches him in the middle of it. Goes, oh, I'm going to have to write you girls up, and they go, well, we're going to have to kill this man or woman, depending on how casting goes. And they go, well, yeah, we have no choice. We can't we can't be exposed at this point. We've killed too many people. We've we've filled too many meat pies. But one of them still has a conscience was already starting to feel queasy about what they were doing when it became like a commercial operation instead of just revenge. Mm -hmm. And we'll say, we'll call her, uh, we'll call her Debbie. She's played by Alison Lohman. And she decides, she goes in there and and cuts the, the uh, duct tape that's holding them while they, while they set up the operating theater. And she tries to help him or her escape. Meanwhile, their friends are coming after them. But she's, she also knows a few tricks, thanks to having taken part in, in some of the eviscerations. So it really becomes a, a death race. So the, the last part, it's all, it's all set up. Then it's torture porn. Then it's action for the last act. What do you think? Hey, Scott, it's, it's a masterpiece, obviously. It's, it's yeah, got obviously. everything. It's yeah. got it all. Eli Roth. Eli Roth wants it already. I mean, I, I, I just sent him the email. He's, he's going to film it. 
This right does sound got, like an Eli Roth movie, Scott. Right did after you have, Green Hell 2. So, I mean, did you have a director in mind? Uh, That's something we really haven't talked too much about tonight. We we haven't. We haven't, actually. Um, well, I'll, I'll be honest. Eli Roth was the first name that came to me. <laughs> <laughs> I did not stray too far from, uh, from his oeuvre. So, yeah. In the 70s, it would have been Herschel Gordon Lewis. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But who would it have been in the 80s? Well, he was still alive, Herschel Gordon Lewis. Yeah, but I didn't care by then. Oh, okay. All right. Then, uh, oh, God, in the 80s, it would be Italian Dario Argento. Hmm. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, yeah added a whole new level to your thing there, huh, Scott? Sure did. Sure did. Get, get Fulci on the phone. <laughs> no, no, Bruno Matai. Oh, that'll class it up. Good idea. <clears throat> awesome stuff, man. That was hilarious and awesome, and uh, and just a little too detailed, which is exactly the right amount of detailed. <laughs> it sure is. It sure is. Um, eight bit alchemy, dude. You're it, man. Oh, See, gosh. it's not going to be a three-hour episode. We we did I it. No, it's it's not. It's not. And I and I it's have amazing. such a such a magnificent act to follow. But uh, hopefully, last is not least here. Um, so yeah, let's let's uh, let's get into this one. So well, Josh let's, Nealis, let's just yeah play the commercial. Yeah, and then you come right back in. Yes, right, so commercial here we go. time. Kabam! There's a make-believe place you pretend to visit when you play the wonderful game Candyland. You try to reach King Candy's castle. Cards with colors and pictures show you how to move. But you don't have to read or count. Along the path, you'll meet Lord Licorice and Grandma Nut and Queen Frostine. You might get lost in Peppermint Forest or stuck in Molasses Swamp. But the first one to reach the castle wins. Candyland, a grown-up kind of game for people four to eight. From Milton Bradley. All right, Candyland. Uh yeah, man, Candyland. Oh, no. oh, Candyland no. is the is the movie that I'm going with. So uh so I you know, I oh, will no. I will assuage fears right now. It's it's not gross. It's not weird. I didn't go horror. Uh I went I went wholesome for uh for this one. So Jeff, calm down, take a breath, take a sip of water. You're good. It's going to be okay. It's going to be You're okay. Safe. Man. You're in a safe space. You're in the hippo's mouth, my guy. You're okay, safe. Okay, in the hippo's mouth. I got, okay. You're safe. Okay. It's mouth. a safe right. space. You can curl not up. Not me a horinga keo. Not me a horinga keo. Okay. Yes, I'm all yes. right. Okay. Thank you. I'm Thank so right. Yep. you down. Just, yeah. Just want to, you know, let's, let's, let's back up from the ledge. Uh, so, yeah. Gums. So, um, lay your head down with some gum. Yeah, so so Candyland. So so I want to just highlight, you know, Josh Nealis had had mentioned, like we said in the Octoponder, mm-hmm. uh, Tim Burton style movie, which did cross my mind. But to be honest, I just that's like not really what I wanted for Candyland that I was envisioning. But full on, like totally thought of it would a hundred percent work. Uh, it's just not where my head was. But you know, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's uh, let's just talk about the game. Uh, you know, everyone, a lot of people are probably familiar with Candyland. It actually debuted uh, in 1949. Um, so it's, it is quite old. Uh, and, uh, you know, it is, it is a fairly simple race style board game where you're just four players trying to get from the beginning to the end. Um, and you, you know, pull a variety of cards that have colors on them that tell you how far you can go, whatever the next space is on the board. That is that color is where you go. Um, the game that 
I grew up with was the 80s edition. Um, and that one, to me, had the characters that made me go, I would like to make a movie based on Candyland. Um, as a kid, I always kind of thought that they were colorful and thoughtful and had, you know, interesting designs and everything. And that the board game itself just didn't really have anything to it. Um, it was just kind of fairly fluff. There's there's nothing really much there. They're just characters for the sake of having spots to stop along the board. But I always kind of thought that there could totally be more. Um, so we'll just kind of briefly go into the history of the the board game, which will also give you a little bit of context for some things that are in the, the movie pitch. Um, so the game was designed in 1948 by Eleanor Abbott while she was recovering from polio in San Diego, California. Uh, it was actually made for and tested by the children in the same wards on the hospital. And the children suggested that Abbott submit the game to Milton Bradley. Uh, and then Milton Bradley ended up loving it and it was, and they purchased it and first published it in 1949 uh, as a fill in for their, main product line, which was at the time just school supplies. Um, Candyland very quickly became Milton Bradley's best-selling game uh, and surpassed their previous top seller, Uncle Wiggly, which is totally its own potential movie. Uh, oh, and, damn, I missed it. I know, I know. <laughs> God damn it. But uh, yeah, so the company, you know, started doing really well and they were, they were able to compete against Parker Brothers. Um, the original artwork for the game was was reported to be done by Eleanor Abbott herself, but it's not entirely sure. Uh, but in 1984, Hasbro purchased Milton Bradley and Landmark Entertainment Group revamped the game with new art, adding all the characters that I'm familiar with, that I think most of us are familiar with, uh, and, and adding a, a bit of a storyline. Not sure exactly where you find that. Maybe it's on the back of the box. As a kid, I, I never I never encountered the storyline. Um, so yeah, this uh, you know, this is kind of the history of of Candyland. The game has changed a good amount. Uh, since since the 80s edition, uh, the characters are have a lot of them have undergone various different changes and whatnot. But I'm focusing on the 80s edition. That's what I grew up with. That's the one that I I want a movie based on. Uh, so I'll just uh, I don't know. How, how do you guys want it? Do you want the cast up front or do you want the pitch and then the cast? Because then because if I because it depends on how I do it, you can kind of envision those people. Uh, I would say do the cast first and then. Okay then do the uh, yep. okay but but however if you were actually in a at a producer's office pitching it you'd give them the setup first okay oh, do, okay. do it the right way all right i want to do it the right way scott let's do this uh okay so i i started writing a little bit and then i just kept writing a little bit more so um there isn't an insane amount here but i kind of tried to go through the whole movie so just go for it so a man named milton ahem yeah thinly veiled references here folks uh is urban exploring one day in los angeles and finds himself at a derelict candy store called landmark sweets that has seemingly been abandoned for many years he sees that the door is open and decides to step inside he first takes a look at the checkout counter nearby and sees an old name tag says saying eleanor uh while he's looking around he sees a variety of different torn vintage candy packages both real and fictional fictional candy would make references to a number of characters from the Candyland game with such packages saying like Mr. Mint Pillows or Jolly's Gumdrops. As he's looking through the aisles, he's avoiding the rats that have taken up residence in the store. He picks up a chewed package of lordly licorice bites and remarks at how disgusting he always found these. He also says that the rats didn't seem to mind them, though. As he says this, he notices one particularly strange mouse that seems to be striped 
white and red, similar to a peppermint. The mouse scurries through a rather large section of destroyed wall leading to the back of the store. Milton tries to follow after the mouse, but has a hard time fitting through the debris where it went. As he's struggling, a large section of the wall gives way and collapses on Milton, knocking him unconscious. When he comes when he comes to, he awakes in the magical world filled with candy, known as Candyland. The first character that he meets is Mr. Mint, who asks if he is okay and is seen holding the peppermint-colored mouse. Milton explains that he was exploring an old candy store when he saw the mouse and chased after it before ending up here. Mr. Mint explains that the mouse is his friend named Julep, but seems confused about Milton's appearance and why he isn't candy like everyone else. He agrees that he must not be from Candyland and has to be helped home. Uh, he explains to Milton that he is in Candyland and that the only person who might be able to help him is Queen Frostine. Now, before I go further in the plot, I should mention that the idea is the setup of the of the movie would be live action uh, with an act with real actors. And then once the transition into Candyland happens, you would maintain the actor, but all of Candyland would be done in stop motion. Okay, so it's um, like like Mary Poppins with stop motion. Right, right. Cool. Um, okay, cool. So he explains, the, explains that the only person who might be able to help him is Queen Frostine. Mr. Mint remarks that Queen Frostine is also also looks similar to Milton and that she also arrived a long time ago and was not made of candy either. She has a mastery of magic and often speaks of worlds beyond Candyland, but none have seen them. The rest of the film would be the adventures throughout Candyland to eventually meet with Queen Frostine. They meet and befriend Plumpy, who joins their quest. They will get trapped for a period of time in the dungeon of Lord Licorice's Manor, which is a similar game mechanic where you get stuck in his manor and you have to, you know, it takes you longer to progress through the game if that happens. Um, while stuck in the dungeon, Plumpy will call upon the help of his friend Jolly to help them dig out from the dungeon. They will rest for a while outside of the castle at the home of Grandma Nut, who seems nice at first, but reveals that she's a bit insane when Jolly makes a mess of her kitchen. So kind of think, uh, you know, what's that Stephen King movie where 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 uh, the the woman takes the author hostage? What is that? Misery. Like, oh, misery. 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 Like very misery level of like, oh, she seems very nice. And then, oh, God, one wrong thing and turns on a dime. Um, they soon find Queen Frostine's palace, which is surrounded by the lollipop forest overseen by Princess Lollipop, who will be a minor character. When they finally approach and meet with Queen Frostine, it is revealed that she is, in fact, a real person like Milton. It is revealed that she is actually Eleanor Abbott a woman who worked at Landmark Suites many years prior before she also found herself in Candyland after an accident at work. Frostine thought about leaving Candyland for a while, but she was very sick in real life. And here in Candyland, she felt completely fine. As her illness seemed to melt away, so too did her desire to return to the real world, nervous that her sickness would return as soon as she got home. King Candy made a deal with her that in return for her watching over the ice cream sea as its queen, he would teach her the magic she needed and let her live in Candyland forever. Milton, at this realization, is very tempted to stay with Queen Frostine, as she would love for him to do so and have another real person like her to live with. But he ultimately makes a very hard decision and asks for her to tell him the way home. She says that the only way that he can get home that she, she is aware of is that if he travels to the molasses swamp, and lets him sink fully into the swamp. That that transition should return him back to his his home world. Can I ask uh, a question? Can yeah. I ask a question? So 
you're saying if 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 I'm following this, um, so when Artax disappeared into the swamp of sadness, he dropped into Candyland because that that changes the film considerably. That makes it me does. feel a lot better. It's really it not so does. bad. It's not yeah, so bad. Right. right. I know he gets to be a horse in Candyland. <clears throat> oh. yes. Yeah, it's pretty great. Um, <laughs> it, it really changes like so much trauma, you know, uh, for, yeah. as, as, as a child. It's just honestly like they just should have named the swamp of sadness something else. Yeah, <laughs> I know they really just you walked right into it with that. Name. They should they should have got like a, a real estate developer. We'll call it Del Mar Swamp Estates. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Devil's Quadrangle, yeah. <laughs> the Cathedral of Lost Soap. Yeah. <laughs> Lodi. Uh love it. Love it. Um, so yeah, only only a little bit more. Uh so so that so that's the plan. He has to sink into the swamp. Uh so in an attempt to have the you know a, a climax at the end of this movie, some kind of some kind of struggle that happens, uh, they travel to the molasses swamp only to find that Lord Licorice has been keeping an eye on them the entire time, furious that his reputation as a fearsome lord would be tarnished at their escape from his dungeon. He is determined to capture them once more and throw them in jail forever, uh, and they must then fend off his licorice leviathan uh, long enough to give Milton the time that he needs to sink into the swamp. Uh, Plumpy asks for help from the swamp, like Lord King, whatever Gloppy, uh, who's he's, just like you know, he's the just big a fudge monster. Yeah, he's a, he's a viscount. Uh, to so he asks for help from Gloppy to help Milton sink faster, while the rest of their friends fight off the Leviathan, giving him time. Uh, as he sinks all the way in, he reaches out one last time in a moment of doubt before waking up in a hospital bed. Uh, now back in the real world. His brother, Brad, is by his side in the hospital room, making sure that he is okay. Milton is left wondering if anything was real or if he was just knocked out while exploring and had an elaborate dream. In one final shot, he looks up to see a small white and red mouse staring at him before scurrying away. Aww. Wow. Wow. Nice. Wow. That, that <clears throat> nice. Was, that's a, that's that's a very really well worked out, yeah. out plot. Nice. Job. Yeah, that was freaking like way too good for this stupid episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, I started writing it last night, and I was just like, it, like an hour and a half went by, and I was like, shit, I should. Probably... <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, I'm like thinking too much about it, but I was like, I'm having fun with this. Like, it's fun to to think about it, and uh, and so you know, to to go to the cast, uh, I I had a couple of recasts. I I had spoke with uh, with Stephanie, and she was like, had some different ideas. She was like, oh, she's like maybe you know have like some more diversity in the cast and whatnot. So this movie would be would be current. You know, it would come out now. Um, you know, as far as like, it's not really conveyed in the, the synopsis of the plot, but I do want the movie to retain like a fairly like dry sense of humor throughout it. Like, I, I think that, you know, a movie about Candyland cannot be so sh like saccharine and, and just sugary sweet. Like I do want it to have a little bit of a dry wit to it, almost like a fantastic Mr. Fox. Um, and then that, you know, stop motion animation also kind of reminds me of that uh i don't i don't necessarily know you know if if he would be the right director for it but i i just kind of have that vibe mm. um but the uh the cast for for milton i would have donald glover um i think he would be a good foil for all the weird shit going on around in nice. Candyland. like yeah. i think that would really ground it um mr mint would be voiced by michael Sarah. uh plumpy would be simon mm. pegg uh Lord Licorice would be Robert Downey Jr. Oh, nice. Uh, 
Jolly would be Nick Frost, so that I can get some peg on Frost action. Uh, you love it. Full intention. Uh, Grandma Nut would be Meryl Streep. Princess Lollipop would be Tessa Thompson. Uh, Queen Frostine would be Rachel McAdams. So she would be the only other like on-screen character. I didn't actually do a cast for Brad at the end, um, but he would be he would be a real actor too. Uh, Gloppy would be voiced by Jack Black, and King Candy, uh, who would pretty much only appear in a flashback because I didn't want the movie to have anything to do with getting to King Candy's castle. I'm like, that's the whole point of the board game, but I wanted him to just kind of be a footnote. Um, but he would be voiced by Gerard Butler. <laughs> Because it would just Ooh. be funny. It would just be funny. This pink yeah. bearded Candyman to have this like you know yeah. fucking big ass Scottish voice. It'd be awesome. Yeah. And you gotta distance him from the other King Candy. You know. Exactly. You like, can't you have really a similar King Candy. That, you know. Now I want to hear that King Candy sing songs from Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no. yeah, Jerry, Jerry Butler, just being like, ah, yes, I, 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 wel- I welcomed no, no. Queen Frostine into my lands a long time ago, <laughs> and he's just like got this, you know, peppermint pants on, and he's well, just like, friggin', I don't know. I think it'd be just a funny like <laughs> disassociation there. Yes, yeah. is Candyland. He kicks him. <laughs> <laughs> Kicks him right into the molasses swamp. There you go. Get in there. Uh, yeah. yeah. You think so, the I mean, molasses that's... swamp leads to another dimension? No. You drown in molasses, <laughs> asshole. What the right. fuck do you think happens? Right. Honestly, uh, I, you know, the, the darkness that you have of the, well, you have to allow yourself to sink into the swamp, which would kill you and have the faith to you know, believe what, what Frostine says and that you're going to come out the other side. That's, that's pretty dark, my friend. I, in fact, I haven't seen such darkness, such real like hard hitting darkness in a kid's movie since the hug a bunch. The The hug a bunch. Yes. Look it up. It's horrifying. It's horrifying. Is it worse than the hair bear bunch? It is so much worse than the Hair Bear Bunch. You don't even know. I guess nobody knows this movie, huh? Uh, It's infamous. It's so famous. It's it's in 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 famous, Um, dude. That was amazing. That was uh, that was really. uh, I'm glad. I'm glad that was the last one. Me too. Me too. I think that was perfect. (laughs) No, no, that was a good choice. That was perfect. And everybody, you know, had uh, you know this this wry sense of humor with it, Uh, except yours. You just legitimately kind of made a great story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I I do think that the dialogue and everything throughout it would be funny. You know, casting Simon Pegg and Nick Frost and Donald Glover and Michael Sarah, like there's so much room for comedy throughout the main cast. It's just, you know, I, I didn't get into, you know, any kind of dialogue or any of the actual funny, funny bits or remarks mm-hmm. or anything. But I do, I do think that would be kind of quintessential. But also, I just, you know, I, I, I love st- stop motion you know like that that's such an amazing art form and like there are just just you know enough companies that are still keeping it alive with like studio Leica, um and you know they're kind of like the the big one but there yeah but i mean i think that mainly yeah um but you know wes anderson also did that is true did his uh yeah he's had a couple he had island of dogs and fantastic mr fox 
Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I would love to see that art form return. I think that would be a great change of pace from just doing, you know, a CG movie. Um, and I also feel like, like, you, you know, you said Mary Poppins, but also just like some, you know, Harryhausen-esque, like you have, you know, all these stop motion characters and then you have real actors inter- interacting with them. That obviously is the opposite ratio. That's mostly real with like live, you know, stop motion characters and monsters throughout. But this would kind of be the inverse. And I don't mm-hmm. know if it would look weird. Honest, honestly, I don't know if it would like visually work or if it would just be too weird. But I don't know. I mean, hey, yeah. it's it's a thought. Yeah. Awesome, man. Yeah. Guys, I'm so proud of everybody here. We did an awesome Everyone job. Everyone did a great job. I hope, uh, Retroids, I hope you had fun listening to our, our weird movie pitches that uh, for movies that never were and, uh, and you know, got, got the old juices flowing. Sometimes it's just fun to just use the brain for, you know, just no good reason. Just, just it, the, the reason <laughs> just is give it a little, little exercise. Like, you're not going <laughs> right. to, nothing's going to come of it other than the act of just having fun and being creative. And that's, uh, you know, I, I, I think this was a really fun departure episode. We haven't done anything like this in a really long time. So mm-hmm. yep. thank you to Jeff and Scott for coming on and for uh, suggesting this really fun theme. Yeah, this was, really was cool. thank, you. Awesome, awesome <clears> thank you. Thank you. Thrilled to be part of it. Thanks awesome. for having us. Absolutely. And you guys are welcome back anytime. We, uh, we have just one segment left, and if you guys want to hang out until after that, it's going to be quick. And then I want you guys to promo anything that you have, uh, including some gully and including any writings or projects or anything you want to talk about. Uh, and we'll but we'll do that, and and then we'll just head on into that sunset. Uh, but but before we do that, uh, let's let's do our let's do our uh, our little little bonus segment here. Let's go to this. Nature is sugar, nature is spice, nature is filled with maggots and lice. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Smell a fresh dropping and cover your tracks. It's time for uncomfortable nature facts. What's up, guys? This is Nintendo, and I am here with a uncomfortable nature fact. What? what? Yes. I, I know I'm known for my my main fee segment, which is power to the metal. Yes. Um, I figured I'd mix things up a bit. Um, the reason why I wanted to do this is because I randomly came across this Facebook reel of uh, of an octopus mm-hmm. with some uh, interesting facts about uh, octopus mothers, you know, protecting their their eggs at all okay. costs. And I just oh, thought it was really interesting. So, anyways, so I'm reading this this little article from Discover Wildlife, and the article is by uh, a Stuart Blackman, which uh, came on October of 2000, 2020. So it says, while parents sacrifice much of their for for their offspring, few routinely give up their lives. But such is the is the destiny of a female octopus tending her eggs is the last thing she'll do in a gloriously tragic act of self-sacrifice she stops eating and dies of starvation before the young hatch oh she might even hasten hasten her demise by actively ripping off parts of her own body oh 
Well, I am un- I am very uncomfortable, right? I'm uncomforted. Yeah, right, right. These behaviors seem to be orchestrated by nervous impulses from something known as the optic gland. Removal of this gland increases the octopus's lifespan considerably, so it's cl- clearly not a simple case of ex- exhaustion. Instead, hmm. death, death seems to be pre-programmed. Octopuses have a cannibalistic streak, so death may be a way to prevent a female from feeding on her own hatchlings. Wow. Very Man, interesting. I thought that was Yeah. Funny. That is super, super <laughs> is so- uncomfortable and super nature <laughs> fact. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Awesome job. So nice, that's dude. so that's that's what you that's it? That's, that's the fact. It. That's it. Awesome. That's the fact. Oh, great. Yes. Nice. nice and quick. Yeah, I love it. No, that was a good one, man. I love uh, I love switching up the uh, the segment too. That's really yeah. cool. Very unexpected. Awesome. So, uh, Scott, Jeff, uh, guys, talk to us for a minute. Tell tell us about yourself before we get out of here. Tell people where they can find you, your show, um, you know, social security numbers, you know, just. Uh, phone number of your your firstborn you know that that sort of stuff you know bank account information yeah routing numbers uh anything just anything you're comfortable sharing just please please go for it four away scott yeah okay (laughs) well as mentioned previously our show is called the slumgullion you can find us at the slumgullion.com if you want to send us hate mail you can send it to the slumgullion at aol.com and why aol jeff Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Jeff is in this. He's, he's writing right my musical. That's what he's, he's doing. He's just, it's, you got it. You, know, you can't stop the creativity. I was looking, I was looking, I was actually looking something up and I had it muted so you wouldn't hear me breathing heavy. <laughs> that, that was a refreshing change of pace. I was going to say, I was trying to be a good boy. I'm sorry. The joke is ruined. I'm a horror. I am unholy nun butter and I am sorry. Okay, so you can find us on Twitter uh, <laughs> at the Slumgullion. That's Jeff. I am Scott Clevenger. That's I have Scott. A, that's Scott. I have a I have a book <laughs> called Better Living Through Bad Movies, which you can get at various book emporia, and possibly another book coming out pretty soon. Possibly written by a guy you may know, but I'm not going to say anything more about that. Could be anybody. Could be anybody. Could be anybody. any of these. It's it's one of the, it's like and then there were none. You know, it's one Heck of those. yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh. <laughs> Whoever's alive at the end of the episode, that's my collaborator. Yeah, we're, we're we are but five characters in search of an exit. Uh, mm, yes. Ooh, nice cut. <laughs> just, just 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 mashed up uh, Agatha Christie and Pirandello. I don't think that's been done before. Oh, you didn't even get the reference, but Joe and Jeff did. It's it's a Star Trek Next Generation. Oh well, I hate that show. So anyway. <laughs> oh, well, oh well, fuck you very much. Oh well, uh, oh, well they freaking I, fly. That's I have I have, a, I have a I have a rocky relationship with it. It was uh, it was a little tough to get through those first few years, but you know we we all we they got better. I got more tolerant. It was fine. It was and fine, now so. and now I kind of like Picard. I always hated him. Now I kind of like him. Because he's old and helpless, and they still beat up on him in his new show. So I, I really just, I'm just waiting for uh, Jordy LaForge to come back and turn into another alien. It's been too long. <laughs> <laughs> Jones Justice in the for line. Wesley. Justice for Wesley. So you're calling for the, you're calling for the death penalty. 
(laughs) (laughs) Poor Wesley. Oh, Uh, speaking of annoying people, here's a disturbing (laughs) fact for you. There is a movie coming out on Netflix soon Mm -hmm. starring Rowan Atkinson called Man vs. Bee. Oh. I'm not kidding. Another bean movie? Do we need another bean movie? (laughs) But this one's live action. With Mr. Bean fighting a bee, it's going to suck. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, oh it's, no. I don't know what to... I don't, I don't even know what to do with this information that you've just given me. I, I don't know how to process That's this. what I Act do. I it. make you laugh and I bring you pain. That's why I exist. <laughs> Jeff, do you have anything to add in this section? Uh, this is it. This is it, brother. Uh, yeah, anything? sure. Let me throw in one thing. If you want to go on... Uh, Amazon Prime for two ninety not for two for about two bucks. You can rent a movie that I filmed in nineteen ninety seven that has been unreleased since then. It is called Chupa. I played the aforementioned Chupa Cabra monster, and it is filled with Ohio theater people. Um, it, you will either laugh at it and think it's hysterical, or think it's one of the worst things you've seen when it comes to nineties shot on video horror. As hell yeah, I want to see this. <laughs> Ohio theater people go, this one's about a bee. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, and I was. It's apparently if you if you get if you get it on Blu-ray, you can actually watch the double feature where I am um, bitching at the makeup man. Oh, the extra. Oh, it's like a bonus feature. Like yes, a, apparently on the on the and I, and here's the thing. As I told Scott, the reason why I'm bitching at the makeup man, I'm sure of it, is um the makeup man did not tell me when they did the full body thing that I should shave before they applied the makeup. Oh, ouch! Ah. Ouch, town. Yeah, yeah, you, 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 you know where this is going. So I'm pretty sure that's why I was yelling at the makeup man when I realized how much pain I was going to be in. <laughs> He went in the shower afterwards and beat Karen Silkwood's old record. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yikes. And you know what he was listening to? He was listening to Splish Splash, I was taking a bath. Long about a Saturday night. (laughs) Kind of the power's gone off and the the turntable is, is winding down. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, what about you guys? Any tasty promos you want to drop before we get out of here? That's uh, for Eight Bit and for Nintendo. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I have a YouTube channel called Nintendo Twenty Five, and uh, haven't really done much lately. Um, but when I was doing stuff on there, <laughs> I I've been doing uh, long plays and like comparison videos and all that stuff. So. If you like that kind of thing, check it out. Subscribe if you like what you see. Yeah. We. If and, you don't uh, like it, then subscribe anyways. Whatever. Yeah, subscribe just, anyway. Just yeah, like it. and subscribe. <laughs> you should you should subscribe out of spite. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Hate hate scribing. Hate scribing. Hate scribing, yes. <laughs> All the kids are doing it. Do it now. <laughs> if you if you hate what I do, dislike and subscribe. Yeah. If you hate Elon what I do, Musk tell somebody else. Him. Elon Musk hates him, and you all hate Elon Musk. So sign up. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Double you negative. Got, uh, <laughs> and that's proof positive. I'm afraid you never mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
yeah, Eight Bit Alchemy. Uh, I have a YouTube channel. I have a Bandcamp page, and I also have a SoundCloud profile. I do Eight Bit uh, retro video game style music. I have a album on Bandcamp right now of all my uh, songs in tribute to Mega Man, and then I also have a uh, a new album in the works that I am slowly but surely working on. And uh, yeah, that will be also on Bandcamp one day, hopefully. Hopefully, you know, in, in the next year or so. But uh, yeah, I also do uh, requests as far as, you know, commissioned theme songs for podcasts, shows, YouTube channels, whatever. If you have a reason that you want an 8-bit song, I will be happy to write one with you. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my it's kind of my jam. Awesome. And as for me, uh, my author self, Steve Ann Sampson, is going to be at the Monster, the Monster Expo. I love it when, you know, these things, they, they spell things weird. So then people hear it and they look it up and they can't find it. It's Monster with an A-H at the end because it is in, you know, Massachusetts. It's actually the, I think it's the 29th and the 30th or 30th or 31st, whatever the Saturday, Sunday are. Uh, it's going to be awesome. I'm going to be there with Derek Rook of Rough House Publishing, and I'm going to be selling and signing and sketching all my books and comics and uh, lots of good stuff. Uh, we got hardcover copies of Mark of the Witchworm. I just signed and numbered last weekend specifically for the show. So come on down if, uh, if you like badass shit and you like to read. Um, we have some badass shit for you to read. So it's, it's a, it'll be a good match if you come on down on the 30th and uh yeah we'll uh, we'll have a good time so anyway uh you know if i'm i you know if if this horizon i'm just checking on my my wrist here if it, if it's if it's right then uh it looks like we're about to sail into it so uh uh if you haven't jumped ship by now i i am i'm supposed to say i certainly hope that you enjoyed this week's journey over the treacherous waters of all the things made growing up awesome if you liked what you've heard, please hit that little subscribe button and like us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as being part of the Inebriart Podcast Network. Retro Redoctopus is a full-fledged member of the Dorkening Podcast Network. And, uh, you know, we got some some really fun shows on that, that their network, including Epic Tales from the Sewers, hosted by Justin Cooper, The Wicked Horror Show, Shark Bites, East Meets West Podcast, The Loudest Sports Show, The Scream Sisters, The Horror Squad, Geek Life HQ, lots of awesome shows. There's over 40 shows on the Dorkening. At this point, you are bound to find a few that you love. So why don't you go check those out? And uh, don't forget... We are also brought to you tonight by Deadly Grounds Coffee. So, you know, head on over to DeadlyGroundsCoffee.com. You know, I don't even know what the website is. I should write it down. It's probably DeadlyGrounds.com. Just look up Deadly Grounds. I don't need to tell you the goddamn web address. Nobody You use the what is this? box. What is this, 90, 1997? <laughs> is this 1997 right now? No. It is You're just going to type in Deadly. Oh, so. Just they, type in HTTP. HTTP colon backslash colon slash if it's 97 then NASA has lost the last of its deep space probes it I'm sure it has I'm sure it has it was it was a dark year Uh, Rogers come on no no see you're you're slightly older than me I didn't get that one I'm sorry although (laughs) although although BB BD and Aaron Gray and uh, uh, Hawk was the coolest Oh, God, in season two. <laughs> Sorry. So I, I'm I a little, the great Tom Christopher. I get a little bit. I get a little bit for it. 
Um, I have been your host, Parasite Steve, a.k.a. Steve Ann Sampson. And uh, it is indeed a sad thing that your adventures have ended here. But don't let your adventures end in the world of board games because, you know, they're fun. So go play some of those and then, you know, you know, think about movies that they might make good movies of. Nice. Nailed it. Nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) Good night, everyone. Well, this is this is why we uh, we we were attacked by Time Dick. Yes, (laughs) why we became a a target for Time Dick purely because of we just went on and on. The uh, that's the second mention of Time Dick. So to let Tim and Joe in on the that joke on their show, they had this character that they had mentioned where this when they whenever the podcast was going too long, they're like, "Oh, Time Dick is going to come and." And like, you know, kill us or I don't know, whatever, bad, do bad, bad, nasty, bad things. And, um, and so when I was going on the last time, I wanted to, obviously, like you do, I wanted to fuck with Scott. So I went to, (laughs) I went to Jeff and I said, I said, Jeff, I want to fuck with Scott, help me do it. And he's like, well, what do you have in mind? Cause, oh, that's all I want to do. That's my favorite thing. (laughs) Like, well, I want to do like some sort of a, a skit that takes him by surprise. And, uh, and Scott, you know, you should know that, um, that Jeff has your back because he, he was concerned. He was like, Scott, he's like, listen, Steve, Scott really hates surprises. Um, uh, I, I think you might, I think this might just uh, not be a good idea. And then um, I don't know. We, I, I don't remember what you told Scott that we were going to do, Jeff, but I, we, Scott, you didn't know exactly what we were going to do. I right? didn't but, know shit. No, you didn't know anything. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> I told him. I told him something was going to happen, and just to run with it. Something. Words that he hates to hear. Something's gonna happen. <laughs> but it always turns out good. So, so we we wrote a script together, Jeff and I, of of this back and forth of what we were gonna say, and I was gonna be finally time dick like in the flesh basically because they and always I'd been, just i've been bouncing back and forth through time like for like several episodes i was in a different place at right. different time right that was like kind of the theme of this season that you were doing so every time <laughs> the, like oh well i'm uh, i'm on the this this random farm uh there's a guy with a shotgun he's giving me weird looks uh, i don't ha- don't know how much longer i can uh, can stay here um so so i was apparently chasing him that whole time from place to place and uh anyway it's just it's in the episode it's just just to let you in on the show (laughs) it's amazingly stupid but it's wacky you know if nothing else if if nothing else was uh, occurred that night uh we fucked with scott really and that's (laughs) that's that's the important thing yep (laughs) you 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 can enter your house justified